Sleepy town set on it for the night Where every lawn is tailored just right And it's about time that the back porch light comes on Good morning. Okay. My stomach is kind of upset today. I don't know what happened. What'd you eat? Dude, I don't even know. But I feel very old today. Diggity took me the fuck out yesterday while I was like gardening. I yeah. stepped backwards and he was already he was already dead set on wherever he was going. He clipped my leg. My knee hurts so bad today. And it's not even the leg he hit. The leg that hurts stayed planted and I did like a 180 like oh, into the yeah. air and all i could do was laugh because it was so fucking funny and josh my brother-in-law was right there watching but today <gasps> it's like rut row <laughs> oh no it's hurting yeah it's hurting did you ice it at all no i i didn't feel it like hurting until last night when i was trying yeah. to fall asleep <sighs> is it the same leg that you have the um didn't you break your ankle at one point yeah no is it's the, the other leg, leg. Other le oh great great so now you have two fucked up legs <laughs> how are you doing I'm all right. Yeah, I'm tired. Good. Me too. But I had some weird fucking dreams last night. What were they? I had a dream that like me and Avi, I don't know if you were there. Somebody else was there. But we were at this like, it was like a Halloween train. And like, I don't remember, like, I feel like I was like a little kid when whoever I was with was driving me there. But then when I got there, I was like a full ass adult. That's cute. And we get there and like it's kind of like a train station like you like go into or kind of like you know one of those drive-in um like a not a shuttle <laughs> a ferry like a yeah. drive-in ferry it was like that like you drive and then like you have to get out of the car and then like run to your train car and they're all numbered okay. but it's like a conveyor belt okay. so like you have to like find your number along the conveyor belt and like we were driving ours past we driving past ours as we were trying to park and we were like oh that's it that's it i think it was like 142 was a number of it mm. which is what's that number fucking mean i don't know mm -hmm. I'll look it up. but we're like 142 that that's it so we drive past it and then we have to like backtrack because it's on like this conveyor belt system so it keeps moving and like we have to like catch up to it so but then like it like splits into like different parts of the the deck so we gotta like figure out which like section to go in to find our train car and then we like finally freaking get there and like when you get there there's supposed to be like a halloween character that you get to ride with it's so it was so fucking weird i don't i don't know what i fucking smoked before i went to sleep last night but it sounds like a nightmare <laughs> fucking wild <laughs> I wish they would like implement this in like Salem because it set the concept sounds freaking cool, but it yeah. was such a pain in the ass to like park and then run to your fucking car. <laughs> yeah, dude. It was oh banana. my god, are you exhausted from it? I'm, I'm exhausted just from telling that story. So I'm yeah, gonna take yeah. a sip of my coffee. Shut the fuck up now. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what character were you supposed to ride with? I don't know if it was like a scarecrow or something weird. But then, okay. like, we got there, but it was weird because, like, as we're passing all the cars to park, you figure, like, you would see people and, like, characters already, like, sitting with their people. Yeah. They were all empty. Everything oh, was weird. empty. 
so it was like 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 this like really weird eerie feeling like but kind of like a like a feeling of exclusivity like you know when you're at a theme park and like nobody's in line for the ride you're like oh cool we get to ride this by yourself VIP. it kind of felt like yeah it kind of felt like that but it was also very eerie because i was like why is nobody else around yeah why? what the hell spooky you gotta look up that numerology 142 So it's a one, four, five, five, and two, seven. The number would be seven. okay Because I feel that's like how that's you do a good numerology, number yeah. Yeah, I don't remember what that means. I gotta, I gotta look up what the number means. I know how to, like, actually, like, boil it down to the one number to, like, get the reading on, but then I'm like, I don't know what the numbers mean, so I gotta I don't look either. up. But speaking of spooky, yesterday, no, two days ago, was Halloween. Mm -hmm. And what fucking happened on Halloween? We hit our campaign goal! Hit our <laughs> Halloween miracle! Come on, Can we just land recap something. this for a second because it was very strange the way it happened. We were like all day we were sitting at like $350 away from our goal, right? And I'm like, all right, we have like two more two more days or one more day left of our campaign. I'm like, I don't know if we're gonna hit this. And I was just gonna put in like 300 bucks just to get us over that hump just to meet the goal. Cause I mean, we really didn't have that much left to, Mm -mm. but like, it just wasn't moving. Like, not moving and I knew that there was like one or two people that might have contributed but it wasn't pending it was pending not going through yet We were just waiting. And I was like, if we make it, we make it. If not, you know, we'll be able to put in our own stuff to get us to pass the finish line. Yeah. Right, but then, I guess, at the witching hour, I don't know, sometime on Halloween uh, evening, right? The evening Let sometime? me see what time that was. I saved both of those Mar Marcos because Okay. I don't think I... S Did you text me? I think I saw your text and then I, you were like, Mike just Margot us. Yeah. And I was I went and watched the Marcos. Yeah, I'm just like sitting there waiting for my parents to come over because they were going to come over to get to grab some leftovers from our Halloween party. I get a Marco from Mike. It was 8 p.m. 8 p.m. All right. So, yeah, I get a Margo from Mike, our plaid dog producer. And I was kind of hesitant to watch it right away because I was like, please don't tell me like something else is wrong with my freaking Instagram. Like something else is wrong with something. Yeah. But then I was like, all right, let me just fucking watch it. So I watch it and he was like, did we just make the goal on Halloween? I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> He's so who, cute. who, who put us over the $350 hump? And then Yes. I went to look and it was your um, old nanny boss, right? It was my, uh, the woman that I used to nanny her two daughters who are all grown up now and they're just the sweetest. I, I called them yesterday just to thank them and catch up and stuff like that. And she's like, you are our third child. We want to see your dreams come true. This is so exciting. This is like a once in a lifetime. And just being with their girls, she was saying like, we couldn't have done it without you. I'm like, are you kidding? You guys would have found a way. They're so, they've always been insanely generous people. And it's just really so sweet of them to push us over that, that last little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Her name's Melanie, right? Thank you, Melanie. Melanie, Thank you thank guys. you so much. And we got a, a, a couple more little donations like like flowing in after that. Like just kept going. But um we just want to thank everybody once again for contributing, donating, and we can't wait to take the next steps to be able to put first of all, put together these perks for you guys, because Yes. we owe you guys some stuff. Yes. And then number two I guess start planning out these other songs and our trip, our next trip back to Plaid Dog because we're going back. Yeah. Yep. Maybe by the time you're hearing this, <laughs> we might have the next steps in place, yeah. in plan, Oh, at least. hopefully. Yeah, Yeah. 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 So anyway, yeah, I just wanted to uh, tell, tell everybody that because that's so exciting. Definitely The beginnings was a lot. of a practical magic.
concept album, a full EP. It just blows my mind that it happened on Halloween. I know. How we be doing that? I don't know. What are the chances? But I mean, no, there are no coincidences. Mm -hmm. It was perfect. The best gift, best Halloween gift. Thank you. Thank you again, Melanie, and everybody else who contributed. Yeah. All right. Hey, which hey? Hey, I'm Christina. Justina, and welcome. Uh, welcome to Magnolia Street, the one and only Practical Magic fandom podcast, as well as the creators of the very first Practical Magic concept album that's in the works. So as, far as we know, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my God, we're back again. We were just here, and uh, yeah, this is two days after the last one was recorded, and I've just been editing to crank that one out. So how's that one going? It's done. Good. Okay. Cool. Yeah. We're ready. Um, so where are we spinning off of that topic? We topic? are. Topic, we're like literally. We're spinning right along on that spinning wheel. We are talking about spinsters. Spin the spinsters. The spinsters. <laughs> this is Donna and Darlene's episode. Basically, when me and you are at this point, right? What is like the age, the official age of a spinster, like back in the day? What was like considered? I think it says it in our notes somewhere. I'm okay. going to say 22. <laughs> young that is so young I like know. that is so young that people were writing women off that early on in their lives to not that didn't have children yet it's right like, right right i'm still a fucking child like we're gonna find out but is it women who are childless or is it women who are unmarried i think both i think both can be considered a spinster okay cool right yeah well, let's start off with i guess a quote from po a possible poem uh, this is by Lizzie, and it's called Old Maid, and it says, Always being one, never being two. Rearrange the furniture. There's nothing else to do. Keep an empty house. Watch your brother's wed. Dream an empty dream at night upon an empty bed. Old maid, old maid. That sounds awesome. I love rearranging my furniture. I would not mind being an old maid. But anyway, we're talking about this because this trope seems to go along with witches a lot. And we yeah. just did our spinning fiber episode about the history of why spinning fiber is so connected to uh, witchcraft. So go check that out. That was one, the one right before this. But this term has uh, kind of transitioned over the centuries that it's been used. So we wanted to talk about that and talk about where it comes up in practical magic. All right. So a spinster is a term referring to an unmarried woman who is older than what is perceived as the prime age range during which women usually marry. It can also indicate that a woman is considered unlikely to ever marry. The term originally denoted a woman whose occupation was to spin, which we were just talking about in our last episode. A synonymous term is old maid, like the poem you just read. The closest equivalent term for males is a bachelor or confirmed bachelor, but this generally does not carry the same connotations in reference to age and perceived desirability in marriage. So the man got the better end of the stick there, right? right. Like if a man is single and not and doesn't have children, he's considered this cool, suave guy that everybody wants to fucking be like yep. and not like an old witch. Which is what, basically what women have been deemed to be if they were considered a spinster. So unfair. <laughs> that is what a spinster is. And I guess at this point, me and you were definitely spinsters. I'm pushing 40 here. Still have <laughs> no you married. But I am married. So I mean, I guess I'm half a spinster. Half yeah. Yeah. Spinster, spinster light. Spinster light. <laughs> well, yeah, both of us, I guess. It would both. be, the shirt would be like a checkbox married and then a checkbox children and it would just be the the married part 
No kids. You also kept your maiden name, correct? Yes. 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 Yeah. I also have I kept my maiden name. So when you check off that box that says like Ms., Mrs., Miss, which mm-hmm. one do you usually check off? Ms. usually. Yeah. 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 You do? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think for a while it was Miss, but I feel like Miss is just kind of like, like when you're young and you don't have a partner yet, like, yeah. you know. Like, it's miss. the maiden. Right. But yeah, no. You want I everybody to know you've had sex. <laughs> I want to be, I don't know, I be taken seriously, damn it. <laughs> I'm take off an S, add a period at the end. That's right. So yeah, Miss, I guess, is more appropriate for an older married woman, but maybe. Mm-hmm. It's the like safe choice for people you're writing to that you don't really know. Yeah. Um, There was a guy at my job when I used to work at PetSmart and he would call everyone Madam. And I thought that was so cute. He reminded me of like the kind of guy that goes to a run fair, you know? I love that. But he, he was so sweet and I kind of liked being called Madam. Ma'am. And he said, some people get so, because ma'am is a big thing down here, right? Okay. Everybody's ma'am or sir. And he said, some people don't like it because they're either too young or they are older, but they don't want to be that age. And he said, ma'am has always been kind of like, or uh, madam has always been a safe blanket term. Right. I love that. I feel like madam is just like a woman that's got a lot of money yeah. or like well off or yeah. just a little bougie on the bougier side. Yeah. How are you today, madam? I'm like, I'm, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> All right. So we're going to dive right into the books. So according to Alice, it is forbidden for Owen's women and Vincent to marry but they do regardless. They all make up their own loopholes and rules. They fake their own deaths, no rings, no witnesses, uh, no living together. They all try and outsmart the, quote, curse. Um, I guess you could say it's a spinster's curse. Yeah, but no like, marriage. But strange though, because Maria, she had a child. She had a child. So we'll talk about that. We'll get, we'll yeah. get into her. I tried to add all the women that are considered, I guess, spinsters. Like, would Sally be a spinster? Because... Yeah, she keeps getting married, but they keep... Da- well, Wait a, a widow. minute. Widow. Hold on. But is being a spinster really the curse here? Because if we flip the switch here, the only people who actually die are the ones that get married and have the kids. Because Francis and Jet don't have kids. But they're spinsters, but, so they're fine, in essence. Mm. Like, the curse ain't touching them. But Sally and Jillian's mother dies. She dies along with her husband. She has, she's got kids. Who else dies? Susanna and Dr. Burke Owens die. Mm-hmm. They have kids. It's weird to me that Rebecca all dies. Ones, all the ones who have the kids are the ones actually cursed. They're not the ones, you know, they're <gasps> the ones die. I see what you're doing. See what I'm doing? It's here? not the getting married. It's the having the kids part. It's that's the, the curse. the kids part. That's the curse. I oh, think there's a common denominator that's here. So I'm just funny. Say, just saying. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> I don't condemn anybody that has children. I love kids. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll be the You're cool a nanny, auntie. for God's sake. I'm a nanny. I'll be the cool auntie, godmother any day. I just don't want to fucking own them. No. I just don't want to own them. Yeah. Um, you literally say we are having a child. Like, you're, that's your possession. I don't want yes, that. Right. No. No, I'm good with that. And I don't condemn any of my friends that have children. But I do feel like a sense of whenever one of my friends does have a kid or have have a child and let's not call it a kid a child i do feel like there is kind of at that point not a miscommunication but like obviously you know you can no longer relate to them completely Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. they have a whole, that whole other part of their lives that now they're a mother yeah. and like we've been nannies we know what it's like to help raise a child but in essence we'll never know what it's like to really have one of our own you gotta love that little shit unconditionally yeah. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> so i feel like there's like kind of like a disconnect once a friend has a child Mm-hmm. We don't really connect or we're not really on that same level anymore. Different different chapters. Very different. All my friends that do have kids, it's like I see what how much it takes to raise a child. And I see their frustrations sometimes and I'm just like, I feel really bad. And then at the same time, I'm like, I'm really glad I don't have fucking kids. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just blown away every single time. Like when parents tell me these crazy stories and somehow these children are not in boarding school, I'm like, y'all have the hardest job. God dang. So uh, we applaud the parents because nope. I know my limitations. I am not that strong of a person. It's a whole other playing field that I just don't have. I don't think I have the energy for it, especially not at this age. I guess I am a spinster at this point. I'm just like... (laughs) Can't be bothered. Can't be bothered. (laughs) So we're going to get into, this is the Book of Magic. This is on page 40. To do their best to trick the curse, Jillian and Ben had wed simply and quietly at the courthouse, and Jillian refused to have their marriage officially recorded. Whether or not they were legally married was up for debate. Certainly, Jillian refused to wear a ring. They lived in a two-family house in Central Square where Jillian resided on the ground floor while Ben took the upstairs apartment. Whenever he asked why they must live separately, neither earned much of a salary. Ben was a science teacher at Cambridge Ridge and Latin School and MIT didn't pay lab technicians a fortune. And clearly it would have made more sense to live in one apartment and rent out the other because Jillian was a lab technician. Uh, Jillian asserted that too much togetherness was certain to ruin a relationship, especially in the Owens family. And that was on Book of Magic, page 40. And that is just an example of how they think they can outsmart the curse, even... Mm -hmm. I feel like Vincent's the only one who, if this is a curse and not just death, you know, from old age or whatever, because in this last book, his partner is deceased. But to, in order for them, Vincent and William, to have a full life, he had to fake his own death and and trick the curse somehow, you know? Question, do you think... We never actually see what happens to Jillian after Book of Magic, right? Because Book of Magic, she finally settles down. She has a child. If we're going off the theory that only the people who've had the children croak. But she had, they had the kid after the curse was broken. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So then, yeah, I guess they did dodge that bullet, but. She was the smart one. She's like, I'll wait. (laughs) I'm going to wait till somebody breaks this. because I don't have the energy for it. All right, so we're going to talk about Hannah right now. So as you know, Hannah is Maria Owens's adopted mother. So Hannah Owens lives apart from the delusions and bad intentions of men as deep in the forest as possible in a small cottage hidden by vines. She had it built by a local carpenter, a fellow no one would hire due to a deformity at birth. And that was on page nine. So again, it's showing Spencer's as... You know, people who kind of shut them off, I guess, from society because of how they're portrayed or how they're looked at. Um, So pages 9 through 10, the path to her door was made of uneven blue stones hidden by shrubs, so much the better for the difficult going provided protection from prying eyes. And still, women from town and from the neighboring farms managed to find their way when the need arose setting the brass bell to ringing when they knocked on the door but it's interesting how people always go to them when they need something but yeah so isolated and hidden away and that was her choosing i don't think she's shunned from the town but the selfish reasons that bring people coming knocking at her door 
Wasn't Hannah persecuted before? She was on trial for yeah. stuff, I thought, and then after after that she was like, bye. Yeah, so I mean, I could see why she would want to leave town and not, I guess, in the spotlight or center of attention or mm -hmm. around society, basically. So even if she did choose to go out there herself, I'm pretty sure she probably felt the pressure from society to, like, not be involved mm -hmm. in all that societal conformity. <laughs> I would have been like, peace. Pages 20 to 21. To study love with an expert is a great gift, and yet Maria wondered why, with access to so much power and magic, Hannah had spent her life alone without love. What makes you think I have? Hannah didn't look the girl in the eye when she spoke, perhaps for fear of what the sight would allow Maria to intuit. Things that were best kept private. There are secrets that must be held close, and most of these have to do with the wounding of the human heart, for sorrow spoken aloud is sorrow lived through twice. All the same, Maria didn't let her questions go unanswered, and now she was even more curious. Haven't you? I've seen no man come near. Did you think I had no life before you came along? Mm -hmm. uh, isn't that what Aunt Isabel said to Francis, too? It is, yep. Shit. This notion only caused Maria's interest to peak. She pondered that statement, her mouth pursed deep in thought. So do you want to talk about Hannah a little more? And what she went through before and being betrayed by like a man like it's usually because you've had some kind of tra trauma with a man that you're like nope I'm I'm good I'm yeah. good just being by myself yeah was it the man that she was with that kind of I guess turned her in for witchcraft or whatever it was mm -hmm. I don't remember the I remember she was like persecuted once before she moved out to the woods but I don't remember the details of it I don't remember either I think it was a young boy like a <laughs> butler boy from one of the castles the estates mm -hmm. and he earned her trust and he betrayed her and said that she had a tail growing Best. yeah <laughs> so they brought her in for questioning right yeah okay so yeah again going back to being betrayed by a man i could see why some women are just like i don't need to even be bothered with it anymore like it's just a he it's it's more a headache than what it's worth and a lot of these i'm noticing the spinsters like the uh, isabel and hannah and aunt franny and aunt jet yes spinsters but then they have kids like dropped off on their doorsteps yeah they don't have a choice i mean well hannah she found she kind of sought maria out she found her in the field right she but she, didn't rebecca put her out there because she knew that there was a witch that lived close by that would take care of her and show her the ways was that the reason that she put her out in the field or i thought she was just like you know she just want, wanted nothing to do with motherhood and she was just I like oh, i guess the fae will take her i was under the impression that she was more of like she was trying to make maria more of like a changeling kind of deal like you know how back in the day they would put the babies out as fairy offerings and then the fairies would take care of the child as one of their own well maria is rebecca and robbie's baby and right. rebecca was married to what's his face uh tom lachlan tom I mean, lachlan was and she tom? had hidden the pregnancy the whole time so when baby was born she birthed yeah. baby she couldn't bring the baby home wasn't Tom's. Right. Yeah, that's right. Maybe she did put it out, out in that field at, with the intention of Maria or, or with Hannah specifically finding her or maybe she was just put it out into the field and was like hoping for the best. Like somebody somewhere will find it or the fairies will will take her away. Like <laughs> the fucking uh, goblins from Labyrinth. Oh yeah. <sighs> I really think she knew Hannah would take care of the situation. Okay. And then she came back looking for her kid, basically wanting to see if she was raised right. Yeah, like what the fuck is that about? Like you if you have, didn't, have, you can't have your cake child, and eat it too. Yeah, you can't. You have no right at that point. Like you discarded your child, like it was nothing. But you Hannah have, took it like a champ. Yeah, Hannah was like, I could take this bitch. <laughs> like Rebecca didn't really have the powers that Hannah had. 
Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little bit. Did you need, have anything else to say about Hannah? No, I think we can move on to Maria. And there, like, there's no direct uh, quotes from any of the books that says she is a spinster, but she continuously subverts. Is that the right word? She she refuses to marry Samuel, Samuel even after everything he's done because one fuckboy messed her up. Again, like trauma from this one man. John Hathorne abandoned her and the curse, right, wasn't even a thing until she was on the gallows. And even when she was on the gallows, Samuel still pined for her up until, I guess, what would have been her death, but like she jumped and the thing snapped, but all thanks to fucking Samuel. Yeah. <laughs> right? She survived right. because of Samuel, not because of magic, how they portray it in the movie, but like Samuel literally took a piece of rope that was worn from salt in the sea and everything, and he's like, I know this shit's gonna break. <laughs> and it did. And, you know, I'm not saying like she owes him anything. This man fucking saved your life. I know. He's, he's been doing everything for you up until now, and you're still hung up on this asshole, and you're gonna stand on the gallows and curse all your generations to come because of that one douche? All yeah. right. Yeah. And she keeps playing like, oh, she's so wishy-washy because she's like, no, I can't be with you. But then she's like, I don't know what the passage is like. She crawled into bed and they learned about each other again. I don't know. But like, you can't keep climbing into this man's bed if the answer is no. Right. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Bitches be crazy. Bitches be crazy. Oh, God. Yeah. She's so, I think if Samuel would have stayed away for his better judgment like he she would have stayed unwed yeah that's right she ended up marrying him right at yeah the end. yeah so i guess we can't necessarily call maria a spinster because she's done it all she's gotten married she's had kids multiple kids right she had another one after faith yeah, yeah. i think she yeah. yeah yeah so i guess we can't call her a spinster but it looked like she had a happy life after that so i don't think my theory doesn't check out there as far as like the curse killing people with the kids because it seemed like she had a full life. Right. Right. Yeah. It's just cool to pinpoint all of the like the lineage of women and see how similar their stories are. It, hers is very much Sally's like they have the kids, they don't want to love, but they fall in love. Ugh, God, mm -hmm. such a yeah. headache. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my my theory doesn't check out with Sally either because Sally, you know, she's the protagonist. She's living through all of this shit, even through like when the curse wasn't broken yet. And she had the kids. She got married. But three I guess marriages. The three marriages. But I guess it just took her husband and was like, you're fine. It, you know, we don't need to take you two. All right. So Aunt Isabel, this is from Rules of Magic. This is on page 21. So Isabel Owens was in the kitchen, her back to them as she puttered about. She was a formidable woman. Her frame might be small, but her attitude was commanding. Her white hair was pinned up haphazardly, and yet despite her age, her complexion was perfect. She had worn black every day of her life, and she did so today. Franny stared until their aunt suddenly turned in her direction. Then Franny impulsively ducked down behind a potted plant, her heart pounding against her chest. Vincent and Jet followed suit, sinking down beside their sister, holding their hands over their mouths so as not to explode with laughter. They'd never seen Franny so flustered, which is interesting because when Jillian and Sally came into the aunt's lives when the aunts were older, Franny was considered the mean aunt. Mm -hmm. So for Franny to, I guess, do you think Franny was just emulating Aunt Isabel and growing up with, with her kind of like stoic, yeah. tough love kind of deal? Yeah, Isabel to me has a little more humor in her. Yeah, She's a little more inviting um, yeah. and that could just be because Franny was married for a little while and lost her husband quite recently, almost the same week as when the girls show up, at least in the books. You know, yeah. he passes away, 
the aunts are sitting on the porch and here come the girls, you know, she's mourning his death. And then all of a sudden she has, you know, she's swearing never to love again, but then she eventually opens her heart to these little girls. Yeah. I think they did soften her up a little bit. I am curious to know what Aunt Isabel's life was before taking the aunts in, because as she told Franny, you think I didn't have life before Magnolia Street? Like I really, I hope Alice writes a book about Aunt Isabel. I'm so fascinated about this woman. I want to know what that life was and was that an easter egg was out did alice put that line in there to kind of like hint at us that like leaving it open-ended just saying one day maybe i'll write a book about her too i, I wish so. she didn't do that i know <laughs> i kind of wish she didn't do that um, but so i was trying to look up though. the actress that i picture as isabel and her name is zoe wanamaker and she was in she was in harry potter she has those very cat-like eyes and she has like the oh. short hair she just yes. has this very like stoic stern but i think she's so she's so pretty she looks like a little fey person she gives me like what what's the teacher's name for magic school bus miss <laughs> frizzle yeah she, yeah, gives she does vibes. yeah <laughs> yeah she's cute though all right so on page 24 this says aunt isabel was surprisingly agreeable much to their delight it turned out she couldn't care less about bad behavior Diet and sleeping habits meant nothing to her. Candy for breakfast, if that's what they desired. Soda pop all through the day. They could stay up until dawn if they wished and sleep until noon. They weren't forced to tidy their rooms or pick up after themselves. Do as you please, she told the siblings, as long as you harm no one. Even though these kids are going there to learn, they're going there to learn from her. She's not there to babysit you. This is like, this is Hogwarts. (laughs) You know? you know what it's kind of like? It's like, you know, when you graduate high school and you go into college, the first time you like sit in a classroom, you raise your hand to go to the bathroom and the professor's like, why are you raising your hand? Yeah, Just go. go. And you're like, and you're like, I can do that. I'm an adult now. I, yeah. I'm in charge of myself now. What? This is new. Exactly. Like, I remember feeling that when I first went to college, like right out of high school. And I was like, whoa, this is bananas. <laughs> like, But then really- it's also little scary because you're like shit i'm in charge of myself now like yeah, I you gotta feed yourself up. make sure you got clean yeah. clothes you know right yeah. it's a whole other ball game i kind anyway. of applaud her for that like i'm mm-hmm. here to teach you something that could elevate your life yes but you have to take care of your basics you are an independent autonomous human take care yeah. of yourself yeah and i like how that she's kind of like in essence without saying it straightforward like she was preaching she was encouraging free will yeah you make your that. choices if you fuck up, that's your fuck up. Right. Yeah. Own and it. Especially with Vincent going, sleeping around with that married woman. Isabel knows she's keeping her mouth shut because there are going to be consequences he's going to have to deal with on his own. Yes. And he did. <laughs> oh, yeah. He did. Okay. So on page 25, local people might not like the Owens family. They might cross to the other side of the street when they saw Isabel on her way to the market with a black umbrella held overhead to ward off the sun. But as soon as they were in need, they battled the thorn bushes and vines to reach the porch and ring the bell, knowing they were welcome when the porch light was turned on. There it is. I find it very commendable that these Owens women, despite being ostracized by the entire community, including other women, they were still, once that porch light was on, it was all business and they were still open to helping these women that were probably assholes to them otherwise. When a you friend know? asks for help, you help them. But they're not friends. That's what I'm saying. They're they're frenemies. They're all yeah. frenemies in that town. Page 60. This says, Franny pursed her lips. She had always been a practical girl and was one still. I know there's no such thing as what you say we are. It's a fairy tale, a compilation of people's groundless fears. 
I thought that too when I first came here. Isabel sat in an old lawn chair. You didn't grow up here? Franny asked, surprised to learn that her aunt had a history that predated Magnolia Street. Did you think I had no other life? That I was born between the rows of lettuce and was an old woman from the day I could walk? <laughs> Once upon a time, I was young and beautiful. But that is the fairy tale, because it all passes in the blink of an eye. I lived in Boston, under lock and key, not unlike April. I didn't know who I was until I came here to visit my aunts and learn the rules. Franny felt herself flush. What if I don't wish to be what I am? Then you will face a life of unhappiness. Did you accept it? Franny asked. She could see the regret in Isabel's expression. There had definitely been a before in her life. Not fully, but I grew to enjoy it. I guess Isabel went through those same struggles to coming to terms with who she is. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I think she left everything to Franny because they were so similar. And I wanted to touch on two things. The line, it says, it's a fairy tale, a compilation of people's groundless fears. And I think it was the last episode where you and I were talking about the tale that Aunt Franny is weaving at the beginning of the story. Mm. To the best of her knowledge, Maria jumped from the platform and survived. Yeah. And we were saying like, it's like a game of telephone. And the other yeah. thing was, she said, I didn't know who I was until I came here to live with my aunts. Oh. So there were multiple aunts there when she was younger. Oh, there were other aunts. So who are the other aunts? That who is are these other aunts? Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Again, yeah. I would love to see a friggin' backstory on Isabel. Yeah. I think that would be freaking fascinating. <laughs> she was under lock and key in Boston. Not unlike April. So strict parents. Yeah, I'm like, who are who the fuck are her parents too? You know, mm -hmm. piggybacking right off of that into Franny. Because she would yep. be the next in line, right? Yep. And this is still from Rules of Magic. And um, this is on page 364. So this says, That left Sally and Aunt Frances standing on the path. Do you live her all alone? Sally asked. Of course not. Your Aunt Jet is here. You don't have a husband? I did. Once. Sally stared at her aunt. I'm sorry, she said. Franny stared back, a bit shaken at having been asked about Halen. Hay would have been so much better with children. If they'd ever had their own, she'd be a grandmother by now. She would be different then, softer, not so quick to frighten small children. Aww. Yeah, she'd be a softy, softy grandma, because Halen was such a caregiver to everybody as a doctor. You know, his empathy is through the roof. Yeah, but opposites attract, right? You need one strict parent and one parent that's like, do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. <laughs> Balance. Balance, right? So in the movie... Franny uh, Stalker Channing does mention her poor Ethan. It doesn't specify it what if it was like a former husband, former boyfriend, brother. What about my poor Ethan? You know, like never says. But she is also really flirtatious with Charlie, whoever Charlie is in town, among others. Um, she's, you know, waving at the town. She's like, hello, boys. You know, we see <laughs> uh -huh. at the very beginning when young Sally and Jillian show up on Magnolia Street, how Franny's confidence suggests that she is the master of her domain. Mm. So I think in movie Franny, she likes having the power. I think Franny has male callers, gentlemen oh, callers. For sure. And she just likes to kick them out in the morning like, you're not staying for breakfast. Bye-bye. Do you think poor Ethan, his whole fate was the catalyst for her I guess, coming into her own as that kind of woman. One and done. obviously stands out in her mind. Right. Like, I feel like sh she was giving that relationship with Ethan her everything. And I feel like she maybe thought that 
was the one, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe he, the curse got him. And then that kind of hardened her up to everybody else. So now I feel like all the guys after that is probably like one and done. Like again, like kick them out in the morning. Maybe that is her uh, empathizing with them. Like I'm not going to, I need to have companionship and physical touch, but I'm not going to marry any of these guys because I don't want them to die. I like these guys. Hey, Charlie, you know? Hey, Charlie. (laughs) Looking good. (laughs) Exactly. I guess 100%. I could totally see that. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Jet. So after losing Levi, teenage Jet in Rules of Magic grieved like a widow, but she never wed. I guess that trauma just hit her so hard and it kind of affected her for the rest of her life into adulthood Mm -hmm. and up until she died too, right? Like she kind of befriended the reverend to, I guess, feel closer to Levi. And she had her kind of side piece happening, Uh but it was never, I guess, what she felt with Levi because she even was buried next to Levi in this poor man, Raphael. Raphael. Raphael, yeah. You know, she had probably exactly what Franny is doing. You know, she didn't want to lose Raphael, so she never fully opened her her heart. She needs some molasses to open up her heart. Yeah. (laughs) So Jet in the movie played by Diane Weiss. Jet and Franny are depicted as these solitary women on the outskirts of society. Though Jet tries to charm the town's folk like on their walks. She wants to be a part of the community. She's bubbly. She's kind of forced into spinsterhood, but also choosing to stay there. And in, in the movie, we don't hear about any of Jet's, I guess, romantic affairs. I mean, with Franny, we know about her poor Ethan. We know she's tried to be with men. But as far as Jet goes, she doesn't ever talk about any of her relationships in the film. So we don't really know what her backstory is like as far as men and romance or even trying to bear children goes. We don't know any of that for the film. If we want to play devil's advocate or play funsies, like next time we watch, we'll have to look at their hands because I know they wear quite a few different rings. And are those all the rings from their past husbands? You know? Yeah. yeah, I never even thought about. Yeah, we should we should uh ring we should go ring spotting. Ring spotting. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just so much more evident with Franny that she is the flirtatious one. And when she sees her, when Franny sees her sister, you know, waving, saying hello, she says, "Just just give it up," which is weird because she was just doing the same thing, but just in a different um, color, I guess. But if you if you notice what Jet says after that. I don't think Jet is doing it to be nice. I think she's doing it because she knows it bothers everybody around her because she's like, never. <laughs> or do you think it just bothers Franny? I mean, no, it obviously bothers Franny. Yeah, she's just I, trying to get under her sister's skin. Well, I don't even think it's that. I think she's trying to get under the skin of the townspeople because she knows it makes them so uncomfortable. And mm. I think she revels in that discomfort. I don't think she's like that. Oh, 100%. Why would she say never? I don't know. Like, she's like, I'm not giving up on this town. I don't even think it's that. Like, I think, like, you know when you, like, you have a a frenemy or, like, somebody at the office or at work or in your family even that, like, you know, you see them in person and, like, you could be callous to them, but you kill them with kindness because Mm -hmm. you know it gets under their skin. Okay. All right. That's that's how I see it. All right. So Jillian in Practical Magic on page 122. This says, when she came home from Del Vecchio's on the night she met Ben, she took a vow never to marry again. She locked herself in the bathroom and lit a black candle and tried to remember some of the aunt's incantations. When she could not, she repeated single forever three times, and that seemed to have done the trick because she keeps refusing him, in spite of how she feels inside. 
go away, she tells Ben whenever he calls. Kind of like how she said to Jimmy in the movie, go away. Yeah. She doesn't think about the way he looks or about the feel of the calluses on his fingers, the ones caused by practicing knots for his magic art nearly every day. Find someone who will make you happy. I think she, too, would have been fine just being the bachelorette. And it's funny how we have both of those words, spinster and bachelorette. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, like, is it just age that separates the two? I don't know. I, I think maybe it's promiscuous promiscuity mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe maybe a bachelor you can be all buttoned up but you can be a freak in the sheets well exact 100 percent, 100 percent. but i think that's where the defined line is because mm. if we think of the term spinster it's an old washed up old maid who wants nothing to do with man doesn't want children she's old dried up and crusty right crusty. but if we think but if we think of a bachelorette, if we think of what that term means, it's more of like Jillian, like, I'm going to sleep with whoever I want. I don't give a fuck who says what about it. Yeah. That's more of a bachelorette. I feel like so that's- So is Granny a bachelorette then? <gasps> Maybe. Because she is not dried up. That a fact. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But it's something to definitely ponder. Yeah. Um, okay. I, 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 like your, uh, I like your point there. Yeah. So in the movie, talking about Jillian still, we see her at the end of the film dressed more conservatively, working away happily in the garden with the aunts, and this gives us the impression of history kind of repeating itself for the time being anyway. Jillian is content with the life she has seen her aunts live, and she kind of is totally giving auntie, auntie vibes at Absolutely. the end of the film. She's got like a button-up Victorian outfit on, a little hat, holding her beets or yeah. radishes. She's aunting it up for sure. Mm -hmm. It definitely is they're trying to give the impression like she's fine without a man and i yeah. love that ending for her i do that would have been just fine especially what she went through to get mm -hmm. to that point like we saw her whole character arc mm -hmm. right we yeah. saw what all the hoops she had to jump through just to rest at that place where she's happy with herself she doesn't need a man she doesn't need to fit into society's Mm -hmm. uh, standards. I forgot where I was going with that. It's but, okay. But yeah, I guess all the trauma that the trauma, kind of like Maria in a sense. If you get burnt bad enough by one person, that's enough to make you be like, well, fuck it. I don't. I don't even want to be bothered with it anymore. Like, I'm fine by myself. Yeah. yeah. And her character arc, like you were saying, even though Sally does fling the line at her, like I, me, my. When Jillian was younger and her bachelorettes. Uh, vibes were much stronger it was all about Jillian but we see through the movie that she opens up to the to the little one she wants to take care of the little one she wants to make sure that her sister isn't arrested that she that doesn't lose their daughter she wants to make sure that the aunts love her you know yeah. um and that the aunts aren't mad at her for just leaving the fact that back in the day 22 was considered the age of a spinster like i didn't i still don't know who the fuck i am well i, I know who i am now as a person but like at 22 i didn't know fucking shit about myself like oh. and you're expected to have children already at that age like it just Yeesh. makes no sense to me yeah do we agree that possibly jillian would have turned out just like the aunts or do you that. think she is red hot fire poker and would have had a man tried to marry again did she ever did she try to marry jimmy and she didn't try to marry jimmy in the movie i don't right? think so i don't, I don't even think, so. think they alluded to that she wanted to marry him i think she was just having some fun mm -hmm. Because um, in the book, she is married, but in the movie, I know she said they say she goes through guys, but it doesn't say she's been married. Right. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Um, maybe she's just happy just living that bachelorette lifestyle. Good for her. Yeah. And, and she definitely doesn't need a man by the end of the film. She seems happy 
as a peach, just picking her beats in her Victorian getup and <laughs> just watching Sally and being happy for her sister mm-hmm. and the love that her sister finds at the end of the film. I think she's just really just lit up by seeing everybody else around her so happy and, you know, not having to deal with her exorcism bullshit anymore. She does lay that line out, though, of what wouldn't I do for the right guy? Right. So maybe she's that door's still open. Playing the field. She's living that bachelorette lifestyle. Good for her. So we touched a little bit about Sally, but do you want to talk about her? Whether she, I don't know, because she has kids, is she considered yeah. a All spinster? Because right. um, she declares at an early age that she doesn't want to fall in love. Right. Um, so she doesn't have a broken heart. She, you know, she doesn't want to be like Irene scratching at the back door. So she she wants to be a spinster when she's younger yeah it seems like she is going toward or she's like that lifestyle seems more appealing to her than falling in love and possibly having her heart broken because i think she sees her aunts being totally fine independent of a man yeah yeah and i seeing that fucking whole irene debacle just sealed the deal for her she's like all right (laughs) i don't need love it's fine (laughs) yeah because you know that's not the first woman to come to the back door right looking for some help right but it's the first one maybe that she saw maybe the bird get hurt Mm -hmm. like the way that it did and like she saw that by her loving someone could hurt something like that to the point Mm -hmm. of like killing an innocent animal yeah i'm sure that traumatized her like for sure yeah that kind of quote-unquote passion is connected with some kind of violence Mm -hmm. and i think to her that's a no that's a hard no hard hard boundary there for her yeah Your question, though, would she be considered a spinster? Would she still be considered a spinster because uh, she was put under a love spell? And it wasn't her free will? Right. She fell in love because of the love spell. So do you think she would have been a spinster if it had not been for the love spell? I don't know because her Amas Viditas came true. There was a person out there with those qualities. Right, right. right. I feel like her intention, she says, I want this because I don't want to die of a broken heart, meaning... I want the impossible because I don't want to get married and fall in love. I don't. She had no clue that there was a Gary out there, freaking Gary. Oh, yeah. Gerper hurler. Gerper hurler. So maybe she had every intention of living that spinster life, but maybe just like that one little glimmer of hope or like that childlike sense of wonder because she was a child when she did that spell. Maybe it's just like her last little plea to the universe. Like, if he does exist, this is what I want. Like, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, like a Christmas wish to Santa Claus. She's like, all right, well, I don't really want to fall in love, but this would be nice. Mm-hmm. If I have to. Right. Yeah, exactly. And she wasn't really expecting it, but, you know, the universe had its plan for her. And I guess she wasn't meant to be a spinster. She was meant to actually fall in love. Three so, times, apparently. Three times. In the, yeah, in the book, anyway. Ay-yoy. So, long before the industrial age, quote, the art and calling of being a spinster denoted girls and women who spun wool. Go check out the episode just before this, all about spinning fiber. According to the online etymology dictionary, spinning was, quote, commonly done by unmarried women, hence the word came to denote. An unmarried woman in legal documents from the 1600s to the early 1900s and by 1719 was being used generically for women still unmarried and beyond the usual age for it. As a denotation for unmarried women in a legal context, the term dates back to at least 1699. And was commonly used in bands of marriage of the Church of England, where the prospective bride was described as a spinster of this parish. The Oxford English Dictionary tags spinster, meaning unmarried woman, typically an older woman beyond the age for marriage, as derogatory and a good example of the way in which 
a word acquires strong connections to the extent that it can no longer be used in its natural sense. So we've used it in this derogatory way for so long it's not it doesn't mean anything what it used to mean but does it not though because when we still call somebody a spinster we're still referring to them as unmarried women with no children but before what you and i talked about a spinster was somebody who spun wool or flax mm, right but right. now it means uh, old crusty dried up like you said crusty. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah in 1828 and 1913 editions of merriam's webster's dictionary defined spinster in two ways number one a woman who spins or whose occupation is to spin and number two under law an unmarried or single woman by the 1800s the term had evolved to include women who chose not to marry during the century middle-class spinsters as well as their married peers took ideals of love and marriage very seriously and spinsterhood was indeed often a consequence of their adherence to those ideals they remained unmarried not because of the individual shortcomings but because they didn't find the one quote who could be all things to her heart that's where I find it unfair to call a woman a spinster because like you don't know what that woman's intention is like a spinster I guess is just a picky woman who knows what she wants and isn't going to settle for anything less. Yes. She's not a she's not one of the sheeple. All right. She's not just going <laughs> to like blindly just say yes to a proposal for the first guy that comes along the first Joe Schmo with a ring. Mm -hmm. She actually knows what she wants and she knows what she doesn't want. She knows and herself. She knows herself. And again, that's, I think, why spinsters are associated or they're synonymous with witches because, again, going back to the woman in total control of herself, a woman that knows what she wants is deemed a witch. Mm -hmm. Why would I know what I want? I, I have a smaller brain than a man. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Knowing yourself, trusting yeah. your gut is looked down upon because, like, why should we have any control over our bodies? Um, one 19th century editorial in the fashion publication Peterson's Magazine encouraged women to remain remain choosy in selecting a mate, there you go. even at the price of never marrying. The editorial titled Honorable Often to Be an Old Maid advised women, marry for a home, marry to escape the ridicule of being called an old maid. How dare you? Then pervert the most sacred institution of the Almighty by becoming a wife of a man for whom you can feel no emotions of love or respect even. So they're saying don't dishonor the sacredness of marriage by settling, just what you said. Yeah, I don't think anybody should. But unfortunately, we see we still see that so much in today's day and age. Like how mm -hmm. many friends have you had that you know they married the wrong guy just because they wanted to be married and have kids and like Oh yeah society standards and I'm just like I stand by and I'm like it's none of my business but at the same time I'm like you're kind of gonna fuck up your life yeah yeah and then it's often those people that are the most unhappy and come crying to you about everything and you're just like it's not my place it's not it's not my place but yeah. I told you I told you <laughs> yeah sometimes I'm like I'll I'm there for the wedding I'll be there for the divorce and I'm down <laughs> for the next wedding whatever you need <laughs> you know I like they'll get it right on the next time what will they? Yeah. I don't see. There was somebody who told me you marry the first time for money and the second time for love. Can you imagine? What? Yeah. I feel like that would be the other way around because when, like, when you're young, young and dumb, your your head is in the clouds. You're thinking of love as like this fairy tale, mm. right? And then when you actually get married, you see the reality of it. I feel like it's the second time around that you marry for the money because you get smarter <laughs> at that point. <laughs> but wouldn't the second time around you know? what you like and you know what you deserve you're more choosy and you deserve more money so yeah, <laughs> more money. you marry for the money yeah. <laughs> 
So the Oxford American English Dictionary defines spinster as, quote, an unmarried woman, typically an older woman beyond the usual age for marriage. It adds, quote, in modern everyday English, however, spinster cannot be used to mean simply unmarried woman. As such, it is a derogatory term referring or alluding to a stereotype of an older woman who is unmarried, childless, prissy, and repressed, end quote. Currently, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines the, quote, unmarried woman sense of the term in three ways. Number one, an archaic usage meaning, quote, an unmarried woman of gentle family, end quote. Number two, a meaning related to one, but not tagged as archaic, quote, an unmarried woman, and especially one past the common age for marrying, and three, a woman who seems unlikely to marry. So dictionary.com describes the woman still unmarried beyond the usual age of marrying sense of the term as disparaging and offensive. A usage note goes on to say that this sense is perceived as insulting and implies negative qualities such as being fussy or undesirable. Also included is a sense of the word used specifically in a legal context, quote, a woman who has never married, end quote. Wordreference.com describes the woman still unmarried sense of a spinster as dated. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it is dated because the term originated so long ago, but I mean, we do still use it to poke fun at those people who, you know, are still not married and have no children. I wonder what the more modern way, like how would you describe somebody like that now? I don't know because I'm probably going to get some shit for saying this, but I hope my mom doesn't listen to this episode because she'll probably yell at me for saying this. We have a couple cousins in the family and they're both sisters and they both still live together and neither one of them married, neither one of them had any children and they were always referred to as the spinsters of the family Mm -hmm. and i was always like as a kid i was like what's a spinster like i never fucking knew what it was yeah and i think one day like my mom might have told me what it meant oh okay but now i think like how can we reframe this because when we went through the priestess training you know how we talk about maiden mother crone yeah oh man i'm gonna have to dig it up I'm going to have to find those notes because I think there were like two other categories, your queen stage, your warrior stage, and then your crone stage, something like that. And I was like, I fucking love that. You are choosing to be an independent person. You are the queen of your domicile. You're, you know, uh, a warrior is somebody who maybe takes it under their wing to help raise other, you know, others that are not their own. And I I just love that. So instead of like spinster, be like that. You're in your queen stage, girl. I have a question though. So you know how the the triple goddess is maiden, mother, crone. Obviously, we're past our we're we're growing past our maiden stage, right? We're into the mother stage now. But what if we are not mothers? So do you use queen or warrior in lieu of the term mother in the yeah. triple? Yeah, I should instead go of, find those notes. <laughs> yeah, instead of mother, then I guess we would be considered in our queen or warrior stage since we don't have our own children. But mm-hmm. I mean, like. I guess mother could be used for a woman whether or not they have their own children because I feel like women all kind of have that nurturing, that motherly instinct. Mm -hmm. Even even if we don't have our own kids, like we still have that instinct in us whether we want to admit it or not. It's called empathy. empathy or maternal maternal instincts okay that's what I'm, maybe not every woman feels like they have maternal instincts but i feel like it's just embedded into our dna mm-hmm. up to a certain extent like even if you don't have kids if you feel the need to take care of a plant or you feel the need right. to take care, take care of an animal right i never felt the the need or want to bear children but like at a certain point i was like i really i really do kind of crave taking care of something and sure. wanting something to take care of 
So I was like, I'll just, I'll just get cats. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I tried plants. That didn't work out. I killed every single one of them. But I was like, hopefully an animal will be different. Yeah, and... something within us wants to help something else thrive, even yeah. if it's not a human. Human. And I haven't killed my cats yet. So I, I guess I'm a good <laughs> That's mom. impossible. Those are your babies. <laughs> They're so spoiled. Yeah. And it is impossible to to let a cat starve by accident because they do not shut the fuck up if they're hungry. I think that's where like I make the mistake because plants, they they can't cry for food. So I just forget about them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, continuing with the definition of the word spinster. So it says age is a crucial part of the definition, according to Robin Lakoff's explanation in Language and Woman's Place. Quote, if someone is a spinster by implication, she is not eligible to marry. She has had her chance and been passed by. Hence, a girl of 20 cannot be properly called a spinster. She still has a chance to be married. Yet other sources on terms describing a never married woman indicate that the term applies to a woman as soon as she is of legal age or age of majority and then see bachelorette or single and again i think that's so freaking stupid that an age is even put on a woman's scoreboard roster like, yeah yeah like why is why does age even fucking matter i mean i get the biological clock thing is ticking like you can only have a child up to a certain age but like 22 really early 20 no that's a baby Stop rushing, stop rushing time here. And one thing, one more thing I do want to say is that I guess that's why, in essence, I became a nanny because it kind of did fulfill that maternal instinct without necessarily having to have my own children. Right. Yeah. And Molly, Molly is friggin' my child. She's yeah. basically my child. I raised her. So she You've said like, that. Yeah, numerous times. And you've been with her for many years. She's, she's basically my daughter at this point. <laughs> and she is really at that age that she, she, you know, she's too cool for school, but she has learned from you for all these years Yeah, that she has your, your traits and attributes. You know and she... I know like I wanted like the cooler, older kids that kind of, you know, sometimes took care of us. Like I, I was like, I'm going to copy, copy and paste. Cause I thought they were so cool. And uh, when I was talking to Melanie yesterday, the girls I nanny now are the one who's going to college. Oh my god! This, this, oh my gosh. And the other one is dating and the one is driving. And I'm, it was so funny because, you know, as a nanny, your chauffeur, your cook, your yep. cleaner, everything. Yep. And she was telling me that the older one has a gig now where she drives a little boy from point A to point B. I was, and I texted her and I was like, you turned into me. <laughs> like, yeah, I did. It's fun. The money's good. I was like, I tell you what, it is good. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty good. And part of me is like, well, I already know just seeing Molly's track record from like three years old she's always been into all the movies that i that i watch the music that i listen to like yeah. and she kind of emulated me in that way but i'm curious to see like when she gets to that like working age i wonder if she's gonna be a nanny too because of how like she saw me watch her maybe yeah so, that's very interesting to think about but you know what she said to me one day she was like she was like you're kind of like my mom but then like you're also kind of like a you're like in between a mom and a big sister yeah so you're an auntie I, I just thought that was really cute it is cute more on the definition of the word spinster. So the title spinster has been embraced by feminists like Sheila Jeffries, whose book The Spinsters and Her Enemies from 1985 defines spinsters simply as women who have chosen to reject sexual relationships with men. In her 2015 book, Spinster, Making a Life of One's Own, Kate Bollock has written, quote, to me, the spinster is self-reliant and inscrutable. We think we know what the wife is up to and what the mother is up to, but the single woman is mysterious. Mm. I like that mystery. So the term is a useful way to hold on to the idea of autonomy that can get so easily lost inside of a marriage or motherhood. 
And in 2005, in England and Wales, the term was abolished in favor of just the term single mm -hmm. for the purpose of marriage registration. However, it is still often used when the bans of marriage are read by Church of England parish churches. I think that's great. Just single. Single is perfectly fine. You don't need to be throwing around any offensive terms. Yeah. Don't make overcomplicate this. Yeah. <laughs> Men, women, no no more bachelor, bachelorette, bachelorette. The show is just going to be called Single. Single. Single, maybe not ready to mingle. It's up yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I popped up an image for you because I, I touched on earlier that during the priestess training, we went through one of the classes and she shared with us this reimagined moon cycle. So mm -hmm. I want to talk about that just because we just talked about that. Sorry to lengthen this episode even more, but it it's perfect for this. So I'll share this picture on our notes so you can see. But this was titled The Eight Phases of the Moon in a Month. And this is correlated with the eight phases or archetypes of a woman and her blood passages. So we're going to start on the new moon or the dark moon, and we're going to go clockwise. So the new moon, and then we can pick these apart. She did include like, mm -hmm. like more on each of these. Okay. So the new moon is, or the dark moon is associated with the ancestor or the spirit. This is the potential blood. The next is the waxing, the growing moon crescent. When this is about 25% full, this is the young maiden or infant. And then the first quarter when it's 50% full is kind of associated with the maiden. This is your first blood, the waxing gibbous when it's 75% full. This one's associated with the lovers. So between maiden and mother, they have the lovers. Mm. When the moon is full, this is the mother moon. This is the creation blood. A waning gibbous is associated with the warrior or the healer, the changing blood, the menopausal stage, right? And then the last, the third last quarter is the queen stage. Is your last blood? You're finishing that that menstrual, that menzies. And then they have the waning crescent, or they also listed this as the balsamic, which is your crone stage, and this is your wise blood stage. Mm -hmm. I thought that was so interesting to see those three or two or three extra archetypes thrown in in there because you and I don't fall into the mother. So we're in our lover stage and then we skip mother and go right to warrior, I guess. Right. So this isn't really the triple goddess anymore. This is the new and improved octagoddess. <laughs> the octagoddess. <laughs> All right. Can you please put that on a t-shirt? The octagoddess. The eight so phases of the, of the woman. Like, nice. yeah, that is so cool that they broke it up into more stages because like maiden, maiden mother and crone it's just so broad like it's so vague mm -hmm. like i like how this is way more specific to a woman's actual like multiple stages of her life not just like kind of like just putting it under like a three like an umbrella of just like three stages mm -hmm. you know yeah i agree because there's so much more right there's so much more to us we are more complex than society gives us credit for <laughs> yeah i'm trying to just pick out because we know a lot about the maiden mother and crone so i'm trying to just pick out like the lovers the warrior healer and and the queen from these little passages so let me do that the uh healer the warrior they say i call this phase 
changing blood. And in this phase, there are several ways to appreciate this blood mystery of women. We can consider the mystery from the perspective of the wounded warrior and the healer aspect and the threshold aspect. In this phase, we experience another passage of profound change as we try to find our balance between fluctuating menstrual cycles, shifting roles, and our own personal healing. Our identities are changing. And I I know that this time after the mother stage is like, and your kids are out of the house, you're like, what do I do now? And refining yourself, you know, refining who you are, what matters to you, and like healing those things, re rediscovering those things that meant so much to you before you were a mother is hard. Yeah. Right. In the wounded warrior healer aspect, this blood mystery is more metaphorical. And they say, I add it here as a way to remind us to recognize the blood, sweat, and tears of the woman as she grows in her phase of life of being the teacher, healer, warrior, and being the ongoing mother of the family and career. In her warrior aspect, a woman may be fighting or championing for her family, children, or a cause. She may also be a warrior of self-growth, for this is the time in a woman's life where she is also coming to terms with healing her own wounds, both physically and emotionally from childhood, as well as being a healer and a nurturer of others. But in standing up for ourselves and fighting for our cause, we may face new battles that figuratively draw blood, leaving wounds and scars in our being. Thus, the blood mystery of this aspect is that finding the fluidity of the life force energy and transfusing ourselves with healing energy to heal our wounds. Um, They say, I also call this blood mystery threshold blood to designate that phase in your life when we have one foot in our childbearing time and one foot in our non-reproductive time. We are straddling our mother aspect and our crone aspect and rocking back and forth. It is a time of fluctuation and we learn to cope with irregular menstrual periods and readjust our body life cycles as they start to wane. As we enter premenopause, our ovaries release fewer eggs and we start skipping monthly bleeding and our bleeding times are heavier and longer. This can trigger new emotional challenges as old memories of shame may arise, especially if we find ourselves in an embarrassing situation of sudden heavy flow. These changes in our menstrual blood once again remind us to embrace the passage of womanhood in our cycles and to remember that she changes everything she touches and everything she touches changes. Okay. What were you saying? I was going to say, I wonder if these like changes, like these like major threshold points in a woman's life associated with i guess her last blood and her first blood do you think that is like kind of synonymous with like your saturn return like every 30 years you kind of experience this like huge breakthrough like or huge turning point in your life like every 30 years it's like a huge shift you you shed the person you were once Mm -hmm. the child self and then you just you go into adult you transition into adulthood and it's kind of the same deal once i guess you've reached that menopausal state you transition from the mother stage to your crone stage I know I did not feel like a grown ass person until I was 30. So from maiden to now considered mother, the mother age, and then from 30 to 60 makes total sense. You, you know, you're in the crone stage when you're in your sixties, unless you feel more inclined to be in the, in your queen stage, I guess. Right. Um, I also thought it was interesting how in between maiden and mother, they add lover. Mm-hmm. So like I guess the maiden is like you know you're still kind of in your innocence you're you're starting to become a woman but not quite yet and then once you're not 
that virginal child anymore. Mm -hmm. It switches over to lover. That, I feel like that's the bachelorette, the bachelorette stage mostly. Before you become a mother, you're playing the field. Yeah. Supporting and like seeing seeing what the prospects are with different lovers and just I guess finding out what you really want in a partner. Totally. That's really cool that they added all those other stages because yeah, life is so complex. I don't think you can narrow it down to just those three stages. Like, and I like how it's associated with the cycle of the moon. I thought that was cool. So thank you for letting me share that real quick. Love that. That's awesome. Yeah, really cool. I never heard about these other stages before so so no longer spinster you are a warrior motherfucking healing queen <laughs> right that's right that's right we're gonna get into a little bit of research now so a 2009 university of missouri study of 32 women found that modern quote spinsters feel a social stigma attached to their status and a sense of both heightened visibility and invisibility Heightened visibility came from feelings of exposure and invisibility came from assumptions made by others. Mm. So I, I'm not sure what those assumptions are. I'm guessing maybe... Maybe that they're, that person is undesirable, that person's right. too picky, that person can't conceive. Shit yes. Like that. Yes, exactly. And you know, none of that is an, any of anybody's fucking business. Yeah. Everybody leave has leave my own. body alone. Shut the fuck yeah. up. Stay in your yeah. lane. <laughs> we all have our own reasons for like why we don't want to be married why we don't want to have kids it's not always because you can't conceive it's not always because you know you're undesirable it's just like there's it's such a complex decision and a huge life decision on whether or not you want to get married or have kids like those are not small decisions which no. is what society kind of makes it feel like it's like oh just get married just have kids like oh sure are you gonna fucking raise them right are you gonna put dinner on the table every night like yeah. It's, you know, it's not boiled down to a simple decision right. and it's not anybody's business. So everybody shut the fuck up. <laughs> and you know what gets flung back at that a lot is you're, you're selfish. Yeah. And maybe I am. I love the relationship I have with my husband. Damn. I don't want that to change. And I know kids will change that. And I value him so much and just respect him so much. Like, I just want to keep things the way they are with us. And you know what? When it comes down to it, society is actually never fucking happy. Never right. happy. Because even when you like, have a kid, you're doing it wrong. You're raising well, them yeah. wrong. Right. But like, it was like, everybody would put pressure on Avi to propose to me before we were even married. He's like, when are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? When are you going to yeah. get married? Okay. So we got married. All right. We got married. Is everybody happy now? When are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's none of your business. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, it's 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 a losing battle. You, we're never gonna win. No. Um. So women and mawedge, mawedge, mawedge. So women may have not married for a variety and or combination of reasons, including personal inclination, a dearth of eligible men. Dearth. What's a dearth? A dearth. Like Fred Dearth. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker, whose numbers can decrease dramatically during war conflicts and socioeconomic conditions, that is, the availability of, li of livelihoods for women. Writer and spinster Louisa May Alcott famously wrote that, quote, liberty is a better husband than love to many of us, end Ooh. quote. Ooh, I like that, Louisa. Social status issues could also arise where it was unacceptable for a woman to marry below her social rank, but her parents lacked the funds to support a marriage within their social rank. Mm -hmm. In the early 19th century, particularly in England, women would fall under coverture, stating that all property and contracts in their name would be ceded to their husbands. 
This was particularly common in women who owned businesses. And remember when we were in sale and we were learning a little bit about uh, the, remember when we passed by the apple orchard of Bridget Bishop? I was and just how, thinking about this. Yeah. And how like she was only accused of being a witch because her husband passed away. She was a widow. And then naturally that all the land in her husband's name went into her name. And men back then did not like a woman having control or owning property mm -mm. or owning anything. And all you needed to do was look at somebody the wrong way to call them a witch and take their fucking property right out yeah. from under them. Yep. All about greed. Is that about, easy? Yeah. And the distinction, I guess, we can make between a lot of people get the burning times and the witch trials confused. Yes. The burning times, strictly religious in Europe. Right. Yes. Strictly for religious persecution. In Salem witches were only hung and it had nothing to do with religion. It was all about land and greed. I feel like if I learned anything, anything new on this trip, that was, you know, the thing. That summed it up. So the first war world war between 1914 and 1918 prevented many within a generation of women from experiencing romance and marriage or having children. In modern peacetime societies with wide opportunities for romance, marriage, and children, there are other reasons that women remain single as they approach old age. Psychologist Eric Erickson postulated that during a young adulthood, ages 18 to 39, Individuals experience an inner conflict between a desire for intimacy, i.e. a committed relationship leading to a marriage, and a desire for isolation, i.e. fear of commitment. Other reasons women may choose not to marry include a focus on career, a desire for an independent life, economic considerations, or an unwillingness to make the compromises expected in a marriage. Mm. I have a little article later from like a turn of the century paper about why women were they it was like quoting women like they asked them hey why don't why don't you want to get married and the, the responses are so funny oh my god <laughs> I, I, can't that. That. I feel like this episode like it's gonna be a little long because like you know we're not just spouting off information here like i have a lot of thoughts about this topic me too yeah great yeah i know the last one the last one had a lot of information but we yeah. stuck like to the script to get yeah. that all in because we knew it was going to be long i feel like me and you can both relate to this because yes. because we don't have children yes i mean we are married but like you know i feel like not having children plays a big part into this like whole spinster trope right because what if somebody not in our our timeline time zone time zone you know what i mean era well, they had a child that child grew up moved away had started their own life and the this person is a widow or a widower mm -hmm. and they're you know they're solitary they're they're the only person seen in town the rest of the town may not know they ever had a kid you know mm -hmm. and they're considered a spinster even though they had a child yeah it's i have a lot of opinions about this <laughs> i just I fucking hate societal standards and like mm -hmm. i was always like the person to like not conform like I, f I feel like there was even a point where I was like, I'm never going to get married. Me too. Yeah, yes. 100%. So I completely, like, I've, I'm very close to this topic. <laughs> so some writers have suggested that to understand why women do not marry, one should examine reasons women do marry and why it may be assumed they should marry in the first place. According to Adrian Rich, 
quote, uh, women had married because it was necessary in order to have children who would not suffer economic deprivation or social ostracism, in order to remain respectable, in order to do what was expected of women, because coming out of, quote, abnormal childhoods, they wanted to feel normal, and because heterosexual romance has been represented as the great female adventure, duty, and fulfillment. Oh, Lord. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I'm a happily married woman, but I feel like that shouldn't be expected of a woman. You yeah. do it because you want to, not because you're expected expected to. Right. Never married women are called anisat, A-A-N-I-S-S-A-T, in Arabic, or spinsters, or old maids in English. You're better at the French. Take that word. Uh, Vielfield? Vielfield? Vielfield mm. in French, and, and Zitelle in Italian, Alt Jungfer in German, Shengnu in Mandarin, Starapana in Polish, and Doktar Torshide in Persian. In Japan, where... See, I, everything but the French. I can't do the French tongue. I'm telling you, you'd say the first little bit and then give up on the second half of the <laughs> word. And that's what it sounds like. Um, so in Japan, where women had traditionally been expected to marry at a young age, those who were unmarried after the age of 25 were metaphorically referred to as unsold Christmas cakes. Oh, the fuck? In reference to items which are still unsold after the 25th. Oh my god! <laughs> That's fucked. That's fucked oh up. God. On the other side of the coin, let's talk about like some eternal virgin goddesses, like the veneration of deities who choose to remain unwed, untethered, childless. So this is about Hestia, Artemis, Iphigenia, and Athena. So Hestia is the personification of the hearth and the sacral fire, transcends the bounty between humankind and the goddess and gods. She had a major role in female rites of passage, such as, such as marriage and childbirth. Because the mythology, as well as the iconography of the goddess Hestia, are poorly developed, further implications of virginity are not traceable. Hestia, so if you do choose to have Hestia in your home as part of your hearth, you maybe have an altar to her in your kitchen, these are some herbs you can consider to honor her. These include cooking herbs such as basil, mint, sage, rosemary, parsley, thyme, and dill. Sprigs of herbs such as fresh or dried could be arranged in a small vase. If you would like, you can add some stones or metals. Hestia's crystals are garnet and amethyst, and she could be honored with gold, silver, or brass. Uh, antique silver spoons work perfectly. Go thrift those things. Go get them at Goodwill. So Artemis was the goddess of the of wild places, flocks, and the hunt. She was named Potina. Theron, Lady of Wild Animals, which I'm like, yes, I love her. Yeah. So in the Iliad and the Slayer of Wild Beasts in the Homeric Hymns, she had particularly close ties to deer as indicated by the legend that pregnant women swam to her island in order to give birth and to bears. <laughs> bears play a significant role in the rites and roles of a cult dedicated to Artemis, which were performed by young girls. The stages of the ritual are not clear, but it included libations and spinning and weaving there it is. and was finalized with a goat sacrifice. Oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> so herbs for Artemis include cypress. This evergreen tree was often associated with Artemis and was thought to be one of her favorite plants. In classical mythology, it was said that Artemis herself planted the first cypress tree. You could use chamomile. The sweet-smelling herb was another favorite of Artemis and was often used in spells and rituals relating to the goddess. It was thought to have a calming property and was often used to induce sleep and promote relaxation. You can use thyme. This herb was associated with Artemis due to its strong, earthy scent and was often used in rituals and spells relating to her. It was also thought to have protective properties and was sometimes used to ward off evil spirits and negative energies. Energies? Energies. <laughs> 
entities, energies. Entities. And uh, lavender, this fragrant herb, was also linked to Artemis and was thought to be one of her favorite plants. It was often used in spells and rituals relating to the goddess and was believed to have those calming, you know, those calming, relaxative properties as well. So I've never heard of Ephigenia. Ephigenia? 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 Yeah. Iphigenia? Iphigenia. <laughs> So near the temple of Artemis, there was a shrine to Aphigenia, the daughter of Agamemnon and Clytemnestra. What? Clytemnestra, who on her way to the wedding with Achilles was almost sacrificed to Artemis. A deer was then slaughtered instead of the girl, and Iphigenia was whisked away by the goddess herself in order to serve her on Taurus, in order to serve her on the Taurus Peninsula. Artemis was there venerated under the name Parthenos, or as Iphigenia, which confirms the closeness of these two figures. Artemis was a virgin herself and shunned men except for her brother Apollo, and she insisted ruthlessly on the chastity of her mythical attendants, the nymphs, yet the goddess as well as the nymphs were intimately familiar with sexuality and the female cycles and childbirth. Worshipped in her temple, the Parthenon, Athena was a very different expression of a virgin goddess than Artemis, for she was very much identified with the city and its distinct male-defined culture. Athena was said to have been born from the head of her father Zeus, and in the Eumenides, Eumenides? Eumenides? I'm dying. A, a Eumenides sky, of a, a Skylus. Eumenides. <laughs> Eumenides of Aeschylus, she was said to have declared that she sided with her father against her mother in all things except marriage, which she shunned. She was born fully armed as a warrior and usually depicted wearing a helmet and holding a spear and shield. So herbs for Artemis include rue, olive, lavender, lily, sunflower, sage, mint, rosemary, rose, chamomile, fennel, thyme, marjoram, anise, and dandelion. Um, these are all associated with Athena and her qualities of wisdom, strength, and the natural world. Uh, the last little bit here is events today, as far as spinster, I guess, news. It mm -hmm. says, in Australia, parties are held for young single people to meet and socialize, particularly in rural areas. These events are known as bachelor and spinster balls, or colloquially, B&S balls. <laughs> a philanthropic group of women between the ages of 21 to 35 Called the Spencers of San Diego organizes these events. They should just shorten it to BS balls because this BS is it's bullshit that you know <laughs> that they actually hold events for people to meet because they're trying to marry off young girls. Just let them do what they want. Jesus, <laughs> leave them alone. Just leave them alone. Leave Britney alone. <laughs> Take it poor away, Brit poor Britney. All right, we're gonna read two articles now from Amy M. Freud. F. R. O-I-D-E. She is an associate professor of history at University of Maryland, Baltimore County. She's the author of Never Married, Single Women in Early Modern England, 2005, which was shortlisted for the Whitfield Prize. So this says, Single Women in Early Modern England investigates a paradox in the history of early modern England. Although one-third of adult women were never married, these women have remained largely absent from historical scholarship. Amy Freud reintroduces us to the category of difference called marital status and to the significant ways it shaped the life experiences of early modern women. By decentering marriage as the norm in social, economic, and cultural terms, her book critically refines our current understanding of people's lives in the past and adds to a recent line of scholarship that questions just how common, tra quote, traditional families really were. 
This book is both a social economic study of single women and a cultural study of the meanings of singleness in early modern England. It focuses on never married women in England's provincial towns and on single women from a broad social spectrum. Covering the entire early modern era, it reveals that this was a time of transition in the history of never married women. During the 16th century, lifelong single women were largely absent from popular culture, but by the 18th century, they had become a central concern of English society. As the first book of original research to focus on single women on the period, it also illuminates other areas of early modern history. Freud reveals the importance of kinship in the past to women without husbands and children, as well as to widows, widowers, single men, and orphans. Examining the contributions of work and uh, property single women, she is able to illustrate the importance of gender and marital status to urban ec economies and to notions of urban citizenship in the early modern era. Tracing the origins of the spinster and old maid stereotypes, she reveals how single women were marginalized as first the victims and then the villains of the Protestant English society. This next little bit, this is from theconversation.com, and this is titled Spinster, Old Maid, or Self-Partnered, Why Words for Single Women Have Changed Through Time. And this is also by Amy Freud. So this says women who were once called spinsters eventually started being called old maids. In 17th century New England, there were also words like thornback. That's baller. That's a new one. Thornback is a sea skate covered with thorny spines used to describe single women older than 25. Fucking I guess, love that. Thornback. I guess because like, I guess at that age, they considered they consider a woman like hardened to love so maybe mm -hmm. consider what she's considered spiny yeah right they don't go too close to her she'll like she'll, she'll get you she'll get you yeah so attitudes towards single women have repeatedly shifted and part of that attitude shift is reflected in the names given to unwed women um so the rise of the single woman before the 17th century women who weren't married were called maids virgins or puella the latin word for girl these words emphasize youth and chastity, and they presume that women would only be single for a small portion of their life, a period of, quote, pre-marriage. But by the 17th century, new terms such as spinster and single woman emerged. What changed? The numbers of unwed women or women who simply never married? It started to grow. In the 1960s, demographer John Hajnal identified the Northwestern European marriage pattern in which people in Northwestern Europe countries such as England started marrying late in their 30s and even 40s, kind of like today's day and age. It's mm -hmm. kind of more common now to get married later on in life. Like yeah. mm -hmm. not everybody's getting married right out of high school like they did when our parents were younger, sure. you know? A significant proportion of the populace didn't marry at all. In this region of Europe, it was the norm for married couples to start a new household when they married, which required accumulating a certain amount of wealth. Like today, young men and women worked and saved money before moving into a new home, a process that often delayed marriage. And that's kind of like why, like me and Avi, like we waited so long because like, you know, we need to save up to buy a home. And like things are so much more expensive now than they were when our parents were our age. Yes, exactly. Crazy. Like our parents were buying homes back then for like $50,000. Yeah, like, insane. What? Oh, Lord. What? I freaking wish. If marriage were delayed too long or if people couldn't accumulate enough wealth, they might not marry at all. Mm. And I feel like that's still the case today. Mm. Um, now terms were needed for adult single women who might never marry. The term spinster transitioned from describing an occupation that employed many women, a spinner of wool, which is what we talked about in our last episode, to a more legal term for an independent unmarried woman. 
Single women made up on average 30% of the adult female population in early modern England. My own research, uh, this is from localpopulationstudies.org, on the town of Southampton found that in 1698, 34.2% of women over 18 were single, another 18.5% were widowed, and less than half, or 47.3%, were married. Wow. So question, if you are widowed, are you considered a spinster then? If you ne choose to never remarry? Yeah, and if I you think so. Kids? So, okay, so society's still not happy if you've married and have lost your husband. They're still going to call you a fucking spinster. <laughs> I guess on, like, the legal censuses, since I, you know, uh -huh. if they're a legal document, they would be titled as widow. Okay. Not spinster, because they had been married legally. Right, but I'm wondering if they lump widowed women into the same category of, like, you Probably. know. Probably. They're both looked down on. Old and washed, yeah, old and washed up women. Okay, so many of us assume that past societies were more traditional than our own, with marriage more common. But my work shows that in 17th century England, at any given time, more women were unmarried than married. It was a normal part of the era's life and culture. Um, so if it was so normal, then like, I don't understand why it became so villainized, you know? Right, right. Do you want to take, um, tell us about the term old maid? <laughs> sure. In the late 1690s, the term old maid became common. The expression emphasizes the paradox of being old and yet still virginal and unmarried. It wasn't the only term that was tried out. The era's literature also poked fun at super, super annotated virgins? Super annuated? Super annuated virgins. But because old maid trips off the tongue a little easier, that was the one they stuck with. The undertones of this new word are decidedly critical. A satyr upon old maids, which is an anonymously written 1713 pamphlet, referred to never married women as odious, impure, and repugnant. Another common trope was that old maids would be punished for not marrying by leaping apes in hell. Oh, leading, leading, Le leading <laughs> apes in hell. <clears throat> At what point did a young single woman become an old maid? There was a defining line. In the 17th century, it was a woman in her mid-twenties. For instance, the single poet Jane Baker wrote in 1688 a poem entitled A Virgin's Life that she hoped she would that she hoped she could remain, fearless of twenty-five and all its train, of slight or scorn, or being called old maid. These negative terms came about as the number of single women continued to climb and marriage rates dropped. In the 1690s and nearly 1700s, English authorities became so worried about the population decline that the government levied a marriage duty tax requiring bachelors and widowers and some single women of means of pay that amounted to a fine for not being married. Do Fuck you know, that. Could you imagine being fined in this day and age if for not married? Being well there was a window tax so <laughs> money's money i guess so but that's so fucked um question if you become a nun and you want to live your life to please god and jesus are you still considered a spinster if you're a nun technically they're married to jesus that's bullshit it is bullshit oh, no yeah you i would be in that camp of frame of mind well, yeah, yeah, that's how I would, I would still probably, you know, consider them that, but I feel like society would consider them a man, a woman of God at that point, and maybe she would be able to evade that uh, title as a spinster. Yeah, because you know I'm saying? religion is everything. No, because I mean, now, yeah, yeah, because now she's a pious woman and mm -hmm. like, 
she doesn't deserve that that mean t like dis uh, that derogatory title right you know? right right she's not dirty she doesn't want the sex and she can't have the sex she just doesn't want it but a spinster <laughs> but it's spinster but yeah. a spinster but a spinster <laughs> we need a t-shirt that just says dot 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 but a <laughs> <laughs> okay so today in the u.s the median first age at marriage for women is about 28 for men it's 30. what we're experiencing now isn't a historical first instead we've essentially returned to a marriage pattern that was common 300 years ago from the 18th century up until the mid 20th century, the average age at first marriage dropped to a low age of 20 for women and age 22 for men. Then it began to rise again. I'm wondering if it's because it's just like how the economy is at any given time, because I know for like our generation, I know the economy had a lot to do with that. Like how many kids in like our generation graduated from college, got like part-time jobs or whatever, 2008 the friggin stock market crashed and like everybody was out of a job yeah. nobody could save any friggin money kids got stuck with these student loans they couldn't pay off <laughs> yeah but they call it the baby boom for a reason war yes. influenced so much as yes. far as population right so there's a reason vogue was asking watson about her single status as she approached 30. to many age 30 is a milestone for women the moment when, if they haven't already, they're supposed to go from being footloose and fancy free to thinking about marriage, a family, and a mortgage. I think they were talking about Emma Watson. Her picture oh. was on here somewhere. Okay, okay. I'm like, who are they talking about? So even if you're a wealthy and famous woman, you can't escape this cultural expectation. Male celebrities don't seem to be questioned about being single and 30. It, yeah, it's true. It's a double standard. While no one will call Watson a spinster or old maid today, she nonetheless feels compelled to create a new term for herself or for her status, which is self potnud. What? Or she says it, Harry, I'm self potnud, Harry. <laughs> Once I make my move. <laughs> I love it would somehow dub the age of self-care. Perhaps this term is no surprise. It seems to say I'm focused on myself and my own goals and needs. I don't need to focus on another person, whether it's a partner or a child. You go, Hermione. Yeah. You go. Yeah. To me, though, it's ironic that the term self-partnered seems to elevate coupledom. Spinster, single woman, or singleton, none of those terms openly refers to an absent partner, but self-partnered evokes a missing better half. Mm. It says something about our culture and gender expectations that despite her status and power, a woman like Watson still feels uncomfortable simply calling herself single. Mm. And you have a big list later of popular mm. quote unquote spinsters in our pop culture, right? Yeah, some women rocking that rocking that title, I guess, if people still call them spinsters, but like unaffected by what society, the pressures that society is placing on them. And I look up to all of, all of those women because of that. Mm -hmm. Stevie Nicks being one of them. Right. The most, the most like profound creative women, I guess, don't have children. I feel like I read an interview somewhere where Stevie said that she didn't have children because her creativity, all her songs are her children yeah. and she wants to focus on her craft. And I was like, oh, that's me. That's you. <laughs> I could see that for sure. Yeah, I feel like my creativity is my baby, the creations I'm putting out into the world. And while I may not need to give a college education to all the things that I create, like I still feel like, you know, like I'm able to nurture in other ways. It doesn't always have to be a child that comes from my own womb. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So we're going to take a break now? Break time? I think it's break time. I'm ready. Okay. All right. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about 
Victorian magazine and they asked spinsters why they were single and the, uh, the answers were incredibly savage. I can't wait to read that article. Okay, cool. And we have a lot coming up about pop culture and we'll also do our Grounded by the Moon carpool. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, little witches. The scene is here. If you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you would know how much we love using the Practical Magic Inner Witch Oracle Deck by Grounded by the Moon. And now we want to share the magic of Grounded by the Moon with you, our listeners. Joseph Benitez Egerton, the creator behind Grounded by the Moon, would like to offer this very special 10% off discount to all who wish to experience the magic of his Practical Magic themed tarot and oracle decks. But that's not all. He also creates other divination tools like tarot workbooks, deck bags and altar cloths, pendulum kits, oil blends, cleansing sprays, smoke wands, teas, and ritual kits. And let's not forget about his custom handcrafted all-natural soy candles, where every candle is hand-poured and personally infused and charged under the light of the moon. They even come with a crystal. And did we mention all of the ingredients in the candles are ethically sourced? All of Joseph's offerings are just so magical. So go visit groundedbythemoon.com and use the coupon code Magnolia Magic for 10% off your entire order at checkout. That's M-A-G-N-O-L-I-A-M-A-G-I-C. So get your discount today. You're listening to the Magnolia Street Podcast. Welcome back. Do you have your deck ready? I do. I don't what think there's a spinster card spinster. in here. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's a spinster card in here, but I'll see what we could do. All right. Tell me when to stop. Okay. Stop. <gasps> Red boots. The witch's oh, boots. There you go. The witch's boots. I don't think we've picked this one yet. We haven't. All right. So the, the keyword on this card is stability. And I, I kind of love that actually for this episode because witch's boots, it's kind of like that Nancy Sinatra song. These boots are made for walking. And that's a woman in total co- fucking control of herself. <laughs> right? But it's also like the uh, the big fuck you to the, a society that like didn't wear color. It was taboo to wear red shoes. Mm-hmm. But of course, Maria Owens is going to wear red boots. Right. I mean, the boots on this card are brown, but we can envision that they're red. Alice said they're red, so they're red, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. So the, the keywords on this card, stability, pride, comfort. I feel like pride is also kind of a reason why maybe some women choose not to get married just to give the old fuck you to society. Like they have too much pride to conform to what society expects of them, right? And you ever talk to, I know I have, I have a bachelorette friends who live alone and they're like, I love my house. I love it being the way it is. I know where everything is. It's not a pigsty. I'm not cleaning up after anybody. Uh I love it. I'm so comfortable in my own home. I totally have friends like that too. So this card says, rely on your own strength right now and stand proud. There may be tough times in your future, but it's nothing you cannot handle. You don't need no mans. You don't need no mans. You are strong and stable. Maintain this structure while you go forth on your adventure. Be aware of the footprints you leave behind in your path. Do not be afraid of stepping on someone's toes. Stand up on your own two feet and do it confidently. 
The witches' boots stand securely wrapped with their laces, connected to the witches of Salem and their magic. Embrace the word witch and say it with pride. Use the power of this card, the affirmation, and a black candle to help connect with your inner powers and bring forth your magic. And the mantra on this card is, I walk a true, strong, and magical path. And I really love that. That's, That's like a perfect card. That's a po such a positive spin on like, if you are a woman and you know, you don't want to get married and you don't want to bear children, that's your choice and just stand confident in your choices. Don't let society get in your head about mm -hmm. that shit. I you love, know? I love that card so much. It was and if you do want to get married and have children, then do so. But it should be your choice and not because you're feeling pressured. It should, you should really want it deep down inside, yes. right? Yes, exactly. Awesome. Thank you. That was a great well, card. That was a great card. That was perfect for this episode. So let's talk about this article. This article is from 1889. It's going to be pictured in our notes, but it's a Victorian magazine asked spinsters why they were single. And it says the answers were incredibly savage. So Ooh, here we go. This right. says, we have decided to divide this prize as we did the bachelors amongst a number of competitions which are about the same merit it is very invidious to pick out one and give all the money to the sender i'm not sure what kind of prize this is so i guess hang tight we okay. therefore publish the best 21 that have come to hand and send five shillings for each we may add that the competition by the spinsters have been better than those which we received from the bachelors besides being considerably more numerous so is this a competition for the best response of why they're not married that's what i'm wondering okay yeah, that's what it sounds like this one is miss laura bax they're 20 years old they say because matrimony is like an electric battery when you once join hands you can't let go however much it hurts and when embarked on a toboggan slide, you must go to the bitter end, however much it bumps. This next one is from Emmeline Lawrence. Eight. Eight? Maybe <laughs> wait, 28. Wait, wait, wait. Maybe there were 28. Okay. I'm like, damn, you're going to call an eight-year-old a spinster? You're entering an eight-year-old into a spinster contest? <laughs> this says, because men, like three-cornered tarts, are deceitful. They are very pleasing to the eye, but on closer acquaintanceship prove hollow and stale consisting chiefly of puff with a minimum of sweetness and an unconquerable propensity to disagree with one. This next one was saying that her reason is pretty evident, I think, after she read this advertisement of a man wanting a wife. Okay, right. so this is like, this looks like a want ad, right? Yeah. Like want, okay, so some dude wrote this want ad for a wife. It said, wanted, a wife who can handle a broom, to brush down the cobwebs and sweep up the room, to make decent bread that a fellow can eat, not the horrible compound you often meet. So this guy, I guess, was a poet. He didn't even fucking know it. <laughs> was it rhyming? He was right. Yeah, he is rhyming. Who knows how to broil and to fry and to roast, make a good cup of tea and a plate of toast. <laughs> A wife who washes, cooks, irons, and stitches, and sews up rips in a fellow's old britches, wow. and makes her own garments an item that grows quite highly expenses, as everyone knows. A common sense creature, and still with a mind to teach, and quite exalted, refined, a sort of an angel and housewife combined. Yikes. That is like every man, every woman wants to like run the other way from. <laughs> This last one is from a 62-year-old solidified spinster, Miss Sophia Drew. Yeah. As there are so many more women than men, we cannot all hope to marry. But please don't think I am dissatisfied. 
I am now only a dairymaid. If married, I should be a wife, mother, nurse, housekeeper, chambermaid, seamstress, laundress, dairymaid, and scrub generally. So she's like, I'm good. I'm just a dairymaid. Yeah. If I get she... married, I have to be all these things plus more. Yeah, man. We like we're we're expected to keep house. We're expected to rear children. We're expected to do it all. These next ones weren't in the article itself, but they were like listed out next to photos. So I'm not positive if these are 1888, 1889 responses, but they were fucking funny. Okay. I like how the the title of this section is Titbits. Titbits titular titbits and this uh, this first one says because i do not care to enlarge my menagerie of pets and i find the animal man less docile than a dog less affectionate than a cat and less amusing than a monkey bitch <laughs> oh my god savage savage <laughs> the next one is for good men are scarce but fools there are plenty that's why i am single at seven and twenty oh uh, this next one because i have other professions open to me in which the hours are shorter the work more agreeable and the pay possibly better that's fucking right yeah man the next one says i am a derelict cargo of treasure on the shore of the nuptial sea oh my goodness poet. poetic right the next one like the wild mustang of the prairie that roams unfettered tossing his head in utter disdain at the approach of the lasso which if once around his neck proclaims him captive so i find it more delightful to tread on the verge of freedom and captivity than to allow the snarer to cast around me the matrimonial <laughs> lasso hell yeah and then um there's a couple more so this one says because like a, rare, a piece of rare china i am breakable and mendable but difficult to match. So I guess that's for the picky woman. <laughs> the, and this last one says, my reason for being a spinster is answered in a quotation from The Taming of the Shrew. Quote, of all the men alive, I never yet beheld that special face which I could fancy more than any other. End quote. 48 hours later. Oh my God. Sorry. <laughs> You're... Your chaos energy this morning. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me let you record. Uh, even your like Marcos were so frantic this morning. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. Everybody, I'm, calm down. Calm, calm down. I'm a ripping, ready to go. Listeners don't know this, but this is fucking two days later, and I'm a whole new woman. You, you certainly are. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> You ready to get into this? Where do yeah. we leave off? Let's see. Oh, the childless woman as failure. Oh, no. Oh, no. All right. So we're going to talk about the childless woman as failure or the, quote, spinster aunt as uh, provocation for the future. And this is by Alexandra M. Hill. So this is this article is summed up, but the full article link will be in our show notes. So this says... In her article, Alexandra M. Hill explores the role of childless women in the context of neoliberal society and challenges conventional notions of motherhood and futurity. Hill's personal experiences as a childless woman serve as the lens through which she examines these complex dynamics. Hill's article starts with a personal touch as she reflects on the strengths of women in German as an organization. She emphasizes that this organization provides a space for personal experiences, whether you're a scholar, colleague, student, or simply a friend. Hill's personal journey as a childless woman shapes her perspective on the broader issues discussed in the article. 
The central theme revolves around the childless woman in neoliberal world. Hill points out that popular culture often lacks representations of these women, leaving them feeling somewhat invisible. She distinguishes between two common portrayals. The single sexualized woman who experiences childlessness as a transitional phase, and the more promising spinster aunt figure who offers an alternative model of kinship. In neoliberal society, childless women are often perceived as failures as they don't conform to traditional gender norms and they challenge the idea of extended family and societal structures. Hill argues that neoliberalism promotes individualism and consumerism, limiting genuine choices due to structural inequalities. One of the most thought-provoking aspects of Hill's article is the connection between motherhood and consumption. In a neoliberal climate, being a mother is not just about raising children, but also about purchasing the right goods and services for them. Mm. This concept raises questions about the impact of consumerism on motherhood and family life. Hill also discusses the consequences of neoliberal policies on gender roles. While they allow for reevaluation and reinterpretation, they can simultaneously reinforce traditional expectations. The dissolution of social welfare system places more pressure on families to provide care, thereby emphasizing the importance of the heteronormative family structure. I just want to say about the little paragraph you read before about buying the right goods. I know I'm, I was guilty of this like back in the day when I wanted kids. My brain probably did not go any farther than what I wanted to name them and all the shit I wanted to buy them. Like mm-hmm. the baby registry was the most fun to like throw shit into. Right. But that's as far as my brain went. <laughs> yeah. And then I, got, I grew that the rest of that cortex, lobe. that frontal lobe. The lobe. Furthermore, Hill delves into the realm of alternative reproductive technologies, ARTs, which promise new choices for women struggling to conceive. However, these technologies align with the neoliberal ideology of individual responsibility, potentially obscuring the structural challenges many women face. Hill highlights that childlessness is prevalent, particularly in places like Germany, where cultural ideals, limited family policies, education, and workplace sexism all contribute to this trend. Childless women find themselves in a unique position in a society that primarily values motherhood and family. But like, you know what's like really contradictory to me? Hmm. Society places such pressure on a woman to bear children, to start a family, to do all that bullshit. You can't do that and be a working woman at the same time. Forget your job. Yeah, and yeah. if you put too much effort into your job and you hire a nanny, then you're looked down upon too. You're not being a good mother. You're not picking your own kids up from school. You never win. Yeah, you're looked down at it from that perspective, but then also from your company's perspective, like people in the workplace, like you're, you're the higher ups or whatever, they look down on pregnant women or if you need to take a maternity leave or mm-hmm. that time like after you give birth and you want to bond with your child, like you're limited on that time. Like you only have so much time to actually like fall into that new role like Mm -hmm. and it's such a huge transition in life is like bearing a child becoming a mother and like you're bringing this child into the world of course you're gonna want to bond with it spend time with it and like company some companies like look down on that and it's like from either side of the coin it's like it's fucked up that the mother or the woman in that situation like they're fucked either way like yeah. they don't get the, the respect that they deserve. Never mind the dad. Like I'm, I'm pro masculine too. Like they get no time. Right. You know, what three days? Maybe a week. Some companies do uh, yeah. give men the time now. Yeah, Some which is great. But like doing that. Yeah. There was a there was a TikTok recently. Some dude went off on like dads wanting to leave work at four o'clock instead of five o'clock so they could go trick or treating with their kid. 
Yeah. I was like, are you kidding? Yeah. Of all the things. There's no way to win in society. Somebody's going to look down at you for something or another. You, yeah. you, you can't do anything right. Yeah. So just do you. The article introduces the intriguing concept of the spinster aunt as a disruptive force in the linear notion of progress and futurity advocated by neoliberalism. These aunts offer a different model of kinship, challenging the traditional parent-child structure and highlighting the importance of alternative systems of connection and interrelatedness. So I guess in the case of like Jillian and Sally, I guess that would be talking about anybody that's more of an aunt figure challenges the traditional parent-child structure i think I so know. i think being a little bit more removed from mm. the core family maybe helps like and okay if we're talking about sally and jillian like the different uh, vibe that jillian brings into the household because sally is so close to her daughters and has been you know she can't see the forest for the trees sometimes maybe these smallest little mole hills or more mountains mm -hmm. and maybe jillian's presence can help bring a little more grounding as flighty as jillian is Mm. I feel like having that outside perspective from somebody her age, you know, I know the aunts are in the picture, but somebody her age to be like, listen, yeah. it's not that big deal. She wants to go get her nose pierced. Who gives a shit? You yeah. Know? Take the Advil or whatever in the show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then Sudbury. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Take the Advil. So to conclude, Hill's article encourages us to rethink the roles of childless women in a neoliberal society and the dominant narratives around motherhood and choice. It emphasizes the need for multifaceted and inclusive models of social interrelatedness, particularly as government-funded care networks become scarcer in an increasingly privatized world. This next article was entitled, Who Were the Modern Day Witches of Savok? Spencer Sisters Under Suspicion After Archaeologists Find an Ancient Cornish Witch Pit which pits were still being used until the at least the 1970s. Wow. Okay. That's recent. Yeah. A recent coven of Cornish witches, first formed in the 1640s, has been digging pits lined with animal skins, bird carcasses, and feathers as recently as 1970s as a part of a fertility ritual. It was revealed today. Since 2003, archaeologist Jackie Wood has uncovered numerous shallow rectangular holes near the hamlet of Savok. It is believed by locals that two spinsters of the village who passed away in the 1980s might have been part of a coven of local witches connected to these pits and potentially transmitted their knowledge. This reminds me of the witch humps? Witch bumps? Oh, the 13 bumps? Yeah, a little <laughs> yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah. Archaeologist Jackie Wood has found a recently dug hole containing animal bones wrapped in synthetic twine used in Cornwall since the 1970s, suggesting the witches involved might be still alive. Dr. Wood's theory is that local women spanning generations use these pits for fertility rituals, with the earliest pit dating back to the 1640s, featuring a swan as a symbol of fertility. Some pits contain skins of animals, bird eggs, and stones, often with pebbles from swan pools beach, possibly as offerings to St. Brigid of Kildare, the patron saint of newborns. The practice is believed to be tied to witchcraft passed down through generations. These people believed in the effectiveness of these rituals as they have been carried out in secret for many years. The theory suggests that if a woman didn't conceive within a year of marriage, she might create a feather pit as an offering to St. Bride. I'm wondering if that's supposed to be Brigid. 
or brigand. Mm. If she eventually became pregnant, she would return to the pit, burn its contents, and release the spirit of the swan. If pregnancy never occurred, the pit remained undisturbed. Approximately 40 of these pits were discovered in reed-rich areas, uh, with the first one found by accident during a Neolithic platform excavation in 2003. This whole article, this is actually summarized. Yes. There's a lot more to this article. If you uh, This is from the dailymail.com co.uk there is more to that if you want to go check everybody wants to go check it out we'll Perfect. link it all right so we're going to talk about male and married spinsters okay so I, guess, I guess that we would fall into that category okay what does right? it say okay so you don't just have to be childless like you can also be married and childless and i'm still a spinster right i'm ready to dive in this is a jester article and this is by j.h baker it's from the american journal of legal history volume 21 number three this is from 1977 so this is summed up this is about a five page long i guess thesis or article or whatever you want to call it but um so the article male and married spinsters offers an intriguing analysis of the term spinster and its historical connotations challenging the assumption that it was solely used to describe unmarried women in elizabethan and jacobian accounts the main idea the author is investigating is whether the word spinster was used in legal situations to either clear husbands of wrongdoing or to stop the defense of marital coercion the article starts by pointing out a paradox in legal indictments that use the phrase a B spinster wife of CD um so it's like Justina spinster wife of Avi got it okay okay so basically like like the wife is the property of the husband yeah got it okay so the paradox emerges because if spinster couldn't legally describe a wife then the phrase wouldn't make sense this paradox is a crucial part of the author's argument against the idea that the term spinster was only used for unmarried women. The historical context further complicates the matter as it becomes evident that the term spinster was initially connected to an occupation, spinning which was predominantly practiced by women. This occupational connection to the term challenges the assumption that it exclusively referred to a personal status. A crucial point is made by referring to a significant King's Bench decision in 15 25 where quote spinster was recognized as applicable to both genders mm -hmm. so i guess male men spun too uh, i guess as far as like the activity of spinning goes or the occupation that's what it sounds like um so this recognition highlights the occupational aspect of the term so i guess yeah i guess mm -hmm. m uh, men spun too as far mm -hmm. as occupation the article also raises questions about the transition from spinster as an occupation to its association with unmarried women. While this transition is not well documented, it appears to have occurred gradually with instances of women being referred to as spinsters irrespective of their marital status. This shift can be attributed to evolving meanings of the term and its symbolic association with female virtue further cementing the connection between spinster and unmarried women, particularly in legal documents. The discussion extends to the technicalities of legal naming conventions where the term, quote, single woman, was used to describe unmarried women before being largely replaced by the term spinster. The choice of spinster as a suitable term was likely due to its origin in an occupation, making it compatible with legal technicalities. The article also briefly touches on the possibility of describing a man as a spinster, although it notes that no concrete examples of this practice have been found. 
Despite the historical evolution of the term, modern usage clearly associates spinster with unmarried women, leaving little room for debate. It offers a compelling perspective on the intricate nature of language and the evolving meanings of terminology over different historical periods. I guess I should go dive into those five pages and really dig out if spinster can be applied to the both of us. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about spiders again. We really went head over heel uh, yeah. last episode about spiders, but there's more. And it says the first part of the text is this is summed up, I guess. The first part of the text discusses a book centered around the Kalmath Mountains, initially promising a chronological narrative, but eventually delving into the various communities within the area. While lacking a unifying narrative thread, the book explores the relationship between myth, evolution, and our connection with nature. It introduces new conceptual tools proposing that the development of myths will influence how we manage the wilderness, even suggesting the use of Bigfoot as a potential element in modern mythology. Okay. The second part of the text focuses on Spiders and Spinsters, Women and Mythology by Marta Weigel. This comprehensive source book explores the depiction of female figures in various myths across cultures, including Judo-Christian traditions, classical Greek, and Native American cultures. Weigel's book challenges the separation of ancient and modern as well as the division among academic disciplines, emphasizing the importance of contextual data with interpreting myths, particularly in relation to societal structures and gender dynamics. The book explores a wide array of female-related myths, examining figures such as Pandora, Demeter, Lilith, and the Virgin Mary, alongside themes like matriarchy, the moon, magic, and menstruation. Wagle's compilation provides a valuable juxtaposition of Greek, Christian, and Native of American myths offering fresh perspective on ancient themes. The volume's interdisciplinary approach underscores the significance of these female-centric mythologies in various fields, including religion, anthropology, literature, psychology, philosophy, folklore, and natural sciences. Weigel's inclusion of diverse interpretations, including those from scholars with feminist perspectives, adds depth to the analysis. The book sheds light on the societal and historical context surrounding these myths, providing insight into the sources, interpretations, and the significance of myths in different societies. The text challenges the prevailing narrative of, quote, our truth versus, quote, others' misguided beliefs, emphasizing the myths encapsulate beliefs, social structures, and moral systems that often reflect the interests of specific groups, primarily male-dominated. Wagle's approach highlights the continuity between ancient and modern beliefs, presenting myths as the reflection of social values and norms by including ethnographic and historical data. The book underscores the importance of understanding the context in which myths originated and how they have evolved over time. For instance, Wagle references the work of Murphy and Murphy with the Munduruku, highlighting the significance of considering social context along mythical texts. I'm not sure what that is. Munduruku. Munduruku. Indigenous people of Brazil living in the Amazon River Basin. Ooh, okay, cool. That article really, I feel like that really didn't tell me much though about spiders. No, not really. <laughs> is this a book? Let me see. You can get a, a paperback on Amazon for $7. Oh, yeah. $7.97. It analyzes the treatment of women as heroines, goddesses, spiders, Amazons, and figures of wisdom in the folklore and mythology of the Americas. Awesome. 
Yeah, so I'm not sure how much of that book is like talking about spiders as spinsters. Right. I'm wondering if it's more of what you and I discussed in the last episode, mm. oral tradition of uh, spinning tails and spinning right. fiber. Yeah, yeah maybe kind of like a women who run with the wolves type of book. Exactly. That. Yeah. Like, you know, like just a lot of lore and using women as archetypes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm sure that's an interesting read. I'd like to get my hands on that. Mm -hmm. And you can too for seven nights <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about henwives, spinsters, and lolly willows. What's a lolly willow? I don't know. You had linked this, and I was like, what the fuck is this? I linked this one? Uh-huh. This uh, was taken from terrywindling.com. So in the tumultuous era following the World War I, British society experienced a profound upheaval in gender dynamics largely attributed to the war's impact. The resulting shift saw women taking on new roles and responsibilities, and despite many job opportunities fading post-war, some newfound liberties endured. The granting of partial voting rights in 1918 to select women over 30 marked a significant milestone, yet societal pressures persisted, compelling women to conform to traditional norms. The loss of a large number of young men during the war intensified the narrative at the narrative of the surplus woman, prompting a redefinition of the spinster as a social predicament. This trend, coupled with the popularization of Freudian ideas about sexual repression, cast elderly virgins as pathologically unfulfilled. While some authors reinforced these new stereotypes, others like Radcliffe Hall, Winifred Haltby, and Vera Britton depicted the struggles faced by unmarried women with empathy. Novels such as W.B. Maxwell's Spinster of This Parish and F.M. Mayer's The Rector's Daughter echo themes present in Sylvia Townsend Warner's Lolly Willows. Rector, I hardly know her. <laughs> Lolly Willows, I guess, is a book, although the titles of the latter underscore a distinctive focus on individuality rather than social and familial roles. Townsend Warner's personal life as a feminist, leftist, and lesbian living in the countryside serves as a significant backdrop to her works, which extend beyond quaint village narratives. Beneath their polished surfaces, her stories carry a biting wit profound wisdom, and incisive social critique akin to Jane Austen's style. Virginia Nicholson's Singled Out offers a rich exploration of the lives of single women in interwar Britain, enhancing the understanding of Townsend Warner's context and themes. To delve deeper into Townsend Warner's life, Claire Harmon's biography, her correspondences, and Valentine Ackland's memoir provide valuable insights. The Henwife, a symbolic figure embodying the fusion of the magical and domestic, exemplifies the wisdom and influence passed down among women in communal settings. However, the role of hen husbands remains shrouded in mystery, existing as an enigmatic aspect of folklore and fairy tales. We dive a little bit deeper into, I think I put an article more below about female authors who have been why are so many female authors deemed spinsters? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like spinster type single childless female authors of our in history yeah classic literature right mm -hmm. and i don't know why but why it's a a trope but it exists mm. so i'm interested I'm curious to yeah those articles a little later on yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about reclaiming the spinster, and this is from 2019. HearkenToAvalon.com is where this comes from. And they say, I think the spinster needs rebranding. Just like you and I talked about, we need a new word. 
like mm -hmm. queen or warrior, you know? Yeah. yeah. A spinster has come to mean what a woman is not instead of who she is. A spinster has been defined as an older unmarried woman, as if marriage was the utmost importance in defining oneself. A spinster been called an old maid as if she is not fully formed because she is not married and has no children. Long ago, a spinster was denoted as a woman whose occupation was to spin. But what if it was more than being defined by one's occupation? What if a spinster was a spinner, not necessarily of wool, but of stories and magic? That's what we were saying before, there right? There it is. There it is. A spinster can be the witch next door, the spell weaver, a woman who enjoys her solitude, who is happy to dance with herself. A spinster can be the elder who has tales to tell, stories to weave, magic to spin like gold into a rich tapestry of life well lived. Yeah. Oh, I fucking love that. Phoebe McFudgen Nix is who comes <laughs> to mind when you read that whole paragraph because yeah. like is the quintessential storyteller of our time and she's never she, i think she was married once but like it was like a fluke like i think it was yeah, like, for a kid's sake yeah for the kid she married uh her friend passed away she just married her ex-husband to just, which i think that kid is still part of her life but i mean she didn't have to marry the guy to yeah, 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 yeah. you know um maybe but, for like, tax reasons because she was making money maybe maybe yeah maybe i mean yeah that makes sense she wanted to make sure her friend's child was set for life mm -hmm. you know um so i'm sure she felt a lot of survivor's guilt in that aspect she has always made it a point to let people know that she is childless by choice because mm -hmm. she's so indebted to her craft and her storytelling and that to her is fulfilling enough she doesn't need to bear a child to fulfill i guess that part of her life i wonder well. who her significant other is right like right now yeah like right now you know she's getting it I, I think she's just playing the field i think she's she's franny she's like all right get the fuck out in the morning <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah and yeah. totally 100 yeah. percent um she did actually did we i don't know if we talked about this in the stevie episode she got pregnant i think with don henley's child oh wow he actually had an abortion okay i think i knew that i didn't know it was don henley's kid yeah Wow. So she is like legitimately childless by choice. Like mm -hmm. she chose to never want to bear children. At a girl. To each their own, right? Then wouldn't more women long to be spinsters as we age? We may take lovers, but we would remain totally ourselves. We would meet our lovers as rivers, not vines, as air currents, not brambles, as flames, not thorns, as butterfly bushes, not bindweed. A spinster may live alone, but she is not alone. She is wild and free and has all matter of non-human beings to keep her company. And she would gather with her sisters and brothers around the fire. And oh, what stories they would tell, like jewels taken out and fondled by carrying weathered hands. To all the women and men who choose not to marry or remarry, choose not to have children, who choose not to be defined by other, know that you are not wrong. You are not selfish. You are enough. Your life choice is yours to make and no one else's. That is yeah. so beautifully written. I love that. Let me go get that author real quick. Who wrote this? Ariana Collins. It was beautiful. That was like poetry. Kind of like, <laughs> I love how she put it. Oh, we may take lovers, but we would remain totally ourselves. We meet lovers as rivers, not vines. Air oh. currents, not bramble. Like, <sighs> so beautiful. Analogy. I love it. So 
By the 2010s, interest developed in this word as a form of reappropriation from third wave feminists. Examples include blogs and videos such as Reclaiming the Pejorative, including a Bitch Magazine article and the Spinster House YouTube channel. I gotta check that YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what? Never heard of that one. So there are a few different trope categories from tvtropes.org that we believe are relevant to the women in Practical Magic. So let's talk about the tropes of Maiden Aunt or Old Maid or the Cool Aunt or Uncle and Widow Witch. So the Maiden Aunt, she is your favorite elderly relative, never married, never thought about marrying, never had a boyfriend or a lover, or at least if she did, you didn't know about it. <laughs> She is gray-haired, old-fashioned, conservative, prim, proper, prudish, straight-laced, and disapproving of anything newfangled. She wears basic black with lace at the collar and cuffs, and when she goes out, she puts on a hat that is no longer fashionable. These are the aunts. These are basically Jet and Franny. But she dotes on her nieces and nephews and fusses over the local parson and the friendly neighborhood policeman. <laughs> and you know she's dabbling in everybody's love life in the neighborhood. Yeah, 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 yeah. So although unmarried elderly women have always existed, the maiden aunt as a trope first arose in the 1880s. Historically, women had shorter lifespans than men because of the dangers of, t of childbirth. Many men married more than once meaning that any woman who didn't marry at a young age had a good chance of marrying later on. But in the mid-Victorian era, there's those damn Victorians again, mm -hmm. women's life expectancies increased due to advances in modern medicine, while men's lifespans decreased, or at least didn't go up as quickly, partly due to civilian conscription during wartime, and as we know, partly due to increasing use of tobacco. Suddenly, there were myriads, even millions of women who had no chance of marrying, and unlike unmarried men, had little chance of immigrating to a place where they could find a spouse. Decades later, these women reached old age and became known as maiden aunts. They were especially thick on the ground in the U.S. in the 1900 through 1930 period and in the Commonwealth in the 1950 to 1980 period. These were the women whose potential husbands died in the American Civil War and in World War I. In the 1920s, they were often known as, quote, Victorian aunts. Oh, I love that. Because they, grew, they had grown up and, for the most part, never quite left the Victorian era. Often called spinsters and old maids, although the latter term is used is usually discredited as offensive nowadays. If you were born in the 60s, you may remember how incredibly common they were, both in fiction and in real life. Of course, many real life women remained unmarried for reasons other than the one stated above. Some were lesbians, some were asexual or aromantic, some preferred a career to marriage, and some gave up on the chance of marriage to look after aging parents, and some simply didn't want the bother of a husband and family. Some are kindly and sweet, some are bitter and angry, often played straight in mysteries and for laughs in comedies. There aren't many subversions out there. Younger audiences are usually squicked by any hint of sexuality in an older woman. Mm -hmm. There, okay, so that last bit, I don't know what squinted means. I probably turned off. Like, yeah. No, like young kids don't want to hear about like an older woman getting her rocks off. Like, right, right, right. I want to talk know? about, we talked about this a long time ago, but Under the Tuscan Sun. Do you remember that movie? I 
love that movie i do too the woman the older woman the very sexual woman she is uh -huh. not tied down but on this like as a young person watching that you're like it, like she's kind of fucking old <laughs> she don't give a shit she's dancing in that fountain she is drinking the champagne at breakfast she is eating that ice cream whenever the fuck she wants uh, she always had an ice cream cone in her hand right she did. yeah she's just she's like the aunts she's living what's the word not lavishly but just like deliciously deliciously right she just wants to feel that pleasure at all and that pleasure doesn't have to come from a man it can come from simple indulgences like ice cream and alcohol and just whatever the fuck you want yeah <laughs> whatever yeah. you want Mm -hmm. exactly i love that um that example i love that movie it's i do so too beautiful. it's really good this is about the old maid when a single female character reaches a certain vaguely defined age threshold anywhere between 25 and 40 depending on whom you ask she will eventually be subjected to the most terrible of insults an old maid the underlying assumption is of course that a woman's value exists only in how successfully she serves and pleases her husband and family so a woman who is unable to snag a husband is a pathetic, worthless failure at life. These are not my words. <laughs> who deserves uh, contempt and ridicule, particularly in older stories from times where traditional gender roles were more strongly enforced. A woman doesn't even have to be called an old maid outright to be threatened. Even the hint that someday she might become an old maid, usually because she's not acting in a sufficiently conformist way, is enough to make her either conform or fall into despair. The insult is still used today. A lot. Is it really? Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard it used as a child referring to family members who still aren't married or have children. Okay. I haven't heard it, like, sl slung around in a long time. <laughs> I've heard spinster, but I, yeah, not, not really old maid. old maid, yeah. Along with the just as an insulting spinster, but most likely as a generic inflammatory comment towards women that the speaker doesn't like. Reference will often be made to cats, homely appearance. Oh yeah, okay, so they're saying like cat lady. Crazy cat, crazy cat lady, yeah. <laughs> homely appearance, detestable demeanor, being a lesbian, loneliness, and uselessness. Nosy parents who are waiting for grandkids or as worried about their child's happiness are a rife source of this as well. While not invariable, the reason for their never marrying may bring them more or less sympathy. Never marrying after the intended bridegroom of an arranged marriage died may be regarded as honorable if it was a love match. It may be regarded as romantic. This can apply also if the man had to marry for reasons of honor or state. Having your heart broken by a cad or quarreling with a sweetheart may also be romantic, but makes the character less pathetic than an old maid who never managed to attract anyone. But the proud beauty who rejects a whole slew of offers only to find her beauty faded and herself unable to attract a man may be regarded as suffering laser-guided karma. Uh, an associated Japanese concept is the Christmas cake, formerly a separate trope. The idea that just as a Christmas cake stops being desirable after December 25th, a woman stops being desirable after for marriage after age 25. This is like a Leonardo DiCaprio conversation. <laughs> You know? Oh yeah, <laughs> or Jake Gyllenhaal, right? Yeah. This has since given way to the less popular New Year's noodles, where the age limit is increased to 31 after December 31st. Oh damn, that's so cute. It's not cute, but it's a funny name. Yeah, the yeah. Relatively rare romance is usually December December romance. The commonest plot is New Old Flame or an old maid who's quarreled with her lover. A second love is possibly for a woman whose true love is deceased 
old flame fizzle is rare but not unknown. This is sometimes reinforced with tropes like men get old, women get replaced, all, and women leaving the main story after they grow old and start families. Do you know what a December to December romance is? Like a, like a big age gap? So romantic love that arises between two elderly or senior citizens. Oh my god. Yeah, it may be depicted tragically in works where mortality or mental illness is a theme, but it can also be used optimistically as proof that love and dating have no age limits. Like the old the old people in the notebook. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's what I, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh-huh. <laughs> so sad. Yeah, the, and of the mental illness, what, didn't the, she have dementia or something like that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then the old people end up, didn't she get sick? Oh, yeah. Dude, I was editing the other day. This has nothing to do with spinsters or anything. But you you let out a horse thief. And I just flew over my head. And as I was <laughs> editing, I was dying because I didn't hear you. And then I remember I when I said it. And it was so funny. Did you oh, leave we it in? were talking about a goddess who uh, had to do with horses. And you were like, horse thief. And I just kept on going. <laughs> You get so in the zone sometimes. My one-liners go unnoticed. I have to really concentrate, honey. Yeah, yeah. Oh. The next one is cool uncle, but I think we can flip that, that with cool aunt. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, cool uncle, cool aunt. I mean, if you don't want to put a gender to it, I guess, can men be looked down upon? If No, I, I don't know, because like, we talked about this earlier on in this episode, right? How yeah. men are always deemed like the bachelor or the cool guy for right, not right, right. getting married at a certain age or like playing the field. So I don't know. I don't know if you could flip it necessarily. Well, tell me what it says. Maybe, maybe we'll find out. Okay. So the cool uncle. So this says lots of families have that one uncle that gets on great with all the kids. Most often, he's a youngish bachelor, there, there's that term again, with no children of his own and has no intention of settling down anytime soon, though he may be romantically involved. I'm just picturing Jillian. You know, that's, she's the cool aunt. Right. Actually, I have a, I have a little story after this. So okay. he may travel a lot and wow the kids with stories of meeting celebrities and traveling the world. And if so, he always brings back the coolest souvenirs, which he naturally gives away as presents. And he's much more free-spirited than the kid's straight-laced parents. Regardless, he will often be secretly envious of the stability and loving home life that his siblings enjoy with their spouse and kids, even as he boasts of his own independence. The uncle may be the black sheep of the family. Often, he's the kid's godfather as well. If they ever lose their parents, he'll be the one who steps in and becomes the parental substitute. This can lead to character development if he has to tone down his lifestyle and become a responsible guardian for the kid's sake. But if only his sibling dies, his surviving-in-law may feel obligated to keep him in the kid's lives, even if he and the in-law clash. This trope is usually male, but the role will occasionally be taken on by an aunt, which you said Jillian, right? So I have a couple a couple things to note here that kind of makes me think of like the cool uncle okay the first one is my mom had an uncle growing up and he was always considered the cool uncle the bachelor and she would always tell me stories about like he lived alone in this really beautiful like tudor style house and right that neighborhood where i took you were decray to see my old art school like mm -hmm. he lived like right over there in that okay. section of plainfield and she would just tell me stories about like her and her cousins would just hang out at his house after school and he was just like the cool uncle and he did get married and he actually had three children okay so he didn't remain the cool bachelor uncle for too long but uh -huh, uh -huh. i remember like for a while like she would always tell me stories about like when when her he was like single and he didn't have a wife or kids like 
he was that uncle nice yeah. i thought i thought there was gonna be something like sinister to the story no 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 it's not sinister at all but like it that just that's what made me think of it like the mm -hmm. whole cool uncle trope that's what made me think of it because i remember all the stories my mom would tell me about yeah. her uncle growing up and then the other thing is it, it this makes me think of my brother he's not not that like we consider him as the black sheep of the family but maybe he might consider himself as the black sheep of the family he made it a point to like move away right out of high school like he mm -hmm. went to college away from our small town and he went out west he set up a life out there he's got crazy career like he's mm -hmm. like doing so many different things when he comes back home for like the holidays or like you know to just visit yeah we always get an earful of all of his like adventures and uh -huh. like his success and like all of the stuff that he's accomplished out there and like it's really cool but like on the flip side like i i'm close to my brother so we talk a lot about like you know how he feels that our family might not see he wants to settle down he wants to have a family like he misses home he misses mm. like you know i know like he kind of like looks at like mine and avi's marriage and like maybe he feels like left out that he he's not settling down or has like starting a family or whatever not that me and avi have started a family i mean we started a fur family yeah but yeah like, you know, like, I, I could tell sometimes that he wishes, like, he had a little of that decisions or, sure. yeah, but, like, he's just so busy with his career. Like, he put his career, he's the, he's Stevie Nicks. He was putting his <laughs> career first. Good for but him. He, well, those are, those are the choices he made. But, like, you know, on the flip side, there's always that sense of, like, loneliness or making different life decisions. Maybe he thinks, like, maybe it could have taken him in a different path if he chose, oh, like, sure. family over his career. Yeah. So, that whole that whole uh, cool uncle trope just it just makes me think of my brother. That's so Na sweet. His name is also Vincent, which is <laughs> yeah, in the books, <laughs> it's right? perfect. Yeah. yeah, and I think if the aunts had had kids, Vincent would have been the cool uncle. He plays sure. guitar. He's kind of a baddie, you know. Yeah. So this last one is called Widow Witch. It says, when a woman is mysterious and solitary, at least in terms of a husband, the town community will probably shun her, calling her a witch. In a fantasy story, it might be true as she is a wicked witch who wanted to get rid of her husband, so she casts spells to help things get going. Or perhaps there is a curse on her family that makes it so they lose men. <laughs> if the story is not a fantasy story, the witch impression might just be the vibe the old woman gives off as she is in mourning for her late husband. The whole thing exists because of the unfortunate implications of the similarities between widows and witches. It is understandable that the neighborhood would feel that she is creepy if the woman still dresses in black and her only friends are women or she only lives with women. Although her lack of interaction with men might be because she's not actually interested or they aren't interested in her because she's an ugly because she's ugly as a witch. Other similarities include tending to an herb garden that reminds her of all that is living and healthy, having a cat because it's easy to take care of and will keep her company, being very old and unwell, being bitter towards people as the widow is old and lonely, and laughing wickedly because she's out of touch with reality. There is also speculation that some widows, such as Sarah Osborne in Salem, were accused of witchcraft by relatives of their husbands who believe themselves more deserving of their inheritance yeah we talked about that a little yeah. earlier on in this episode unfortunately the salem witch trials were all due to greed and fighting over land i could totally get on board with with being a widow witch um 
let's keep Avi around for a while. No, I mean, I mean, let's keep him around. But I'm saying, like, like if you know when that time comes, like I don't feel like I need to get back out and like play no. the field. You know what I'm saying? Dating sounds I'm miserable. Fine with my cats. Oh yeah, yeah. dating. Fuck, fuck dating. Just get like a big old house with your buddies. And buddies and cats, that's all you need. Yeah. Yeah. But herb garden. Keep, but we're gonna keep him around for now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did not, I did not mean to kill him off. <laughs> that was not what I was trying to get at, but that's funny. Uh, there's a podcast that I've been listening to called, I think it's called A Dark and Stormy Night or Cold and I forget the name of the podcast. It's basically a woman telling like these like really eerie kind of like Victorian style like ghost Ooh. stories. And there was a story that I was recently listening to, and it just made me, like, really sad because it was about a woman who, you know, lost her husband, who she loved dearly, and she ends up trying to contact him, like, seance style. Like, she has a Ouija board and stuff. And, like, it just, like, talks about her loneliness and her feelings after her husband passes away. She ends up contacting a spirit who she thinks is her husband, but we find out that it's not her husband oh, no. it's really fucking creepy plot twist <laughs> plot twist exactly yeah but i mean just listening to that story it made me so sad like yeah that is like watching we talked about this watching sally's devastation when she goes yeah. to the back door wants the aunts to bring michael back just hits so differently having yeah. a significant other now right. And like that thought, I always, that's like my biggest fear is just losing Aaron and how, do you ever see P.S. I Love You? Yeah. Oh, I hate that movie. I hate it. It's too sad. I can't. It's so sad. I can't watch it. That would be me just like trash everywhere. (laughs) You know, I would not clean up after myself. Moving to Ireland. Where did she go? Ireland, Scotland? Ireland, yeah. Ireland. I think I've seen that movie maybe once or twice, if that. And I'm just like, I can't do this movie. It's way too, too heavy for me. It's, it's just real, like very real. Yeah. Yeah. Good music, though. Very, very real feelings. And, you know, people go through that grief every single day. But it's not something that I want to fucking think about. (laughs) I know. I know. Yeah. This is a, this is an uncomfortable discussion. Okay. Let's go. Let's bring the mood back up. More pop culture. More pop culture. Not that Practical Magic isn't depressing because everybody loses their fucking husband, but I feel like it's more, like, it's more comedic. It's like a dark comedy. Mm -hmm. So it kind of like puts a, like, a lighter, more lighthearted spin on the reality of it which i think is probably the difference why i can actually like stomach practical magic and like not so much p.s i love you <laughs> it's not the forefront of the story i guess right. it's a big plot driver but not a right, it's right. not the, what we're there for exactly yeah i'm not here for the, the death i'm here for i'm here for the witchcraft i'm here for him for the dracula cowboy please i'm here for those spooky eyes <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so spinster characters have been around in popular culture for centuries, and let's be real, they're not exactly presented as aspirational. While Jane Austen's protagonists were busy spending their whole time deciding who to marry, unmarried older women like Miss Bates and Emma were confined to a life of spinsterhood, ready to die poor and alone. Meanwhile, Charles Dickens, Miss Havisham, wallows in her wedding dress in a ruined mansion, driven mad after being jilted at the altar, obviously. While representations like Jane Austen's were sadly true for their time, the idea of unmarried single women as sad, lonely spinsters is still regularly perpetuated in modern films and TV shows. Think Bridget Jones accepting her, quote, permanent state of spinsterhood and preparing to be eaten by Alsatians? I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. 
I think I've seen that movie maybe once. Mm -hmm. While a whole dinner table shames her for being unmarried in her 20s, even though she had a whole thriving career. Again, like it's either like door A or door B. Choose your career yeah. or choose motherhood. Sisterhood or motherhood. Uh, or think of Tina Fey's Liz Lemon in 30 Rock, who tries being a spinster by wearing baggy jumpers and a bum bag and adopting a cat when none of her relationships work out. <laughs> Listen, don't mock the cat lady, okay? Or the bum bag. Fucking fanny packs or, or where it's bat. <laughs> like cat ladies i'm sorry we have it figured out we have low tolerance for bullshit and a cat provides the least amount of bullshit i mean unless you're punky and then yeah. he kept me up all fucking night last night that little shit <laughs> but besides the point most cats are pretty chill um don't oh. ever get a, a ginger cat they're nuts <laughs> have you seen pride and prejudice yeah. Uh, yeah I think he so. has a friend charlotte okay. and charlotte uh is set to marry the the cousin who's like ridiculous like a stupid ridiculous guy and yeah. charlie goes to see elizabeth it doesn't matter but she's like i'm 27 years old i have no money and no prospects and i'm already a burden on my parents <laughs> it's fucking real like 27 was Dude, old i was a burden on my parents until i was 31 fucking years old <laughs> i got married pretty late but i mean i guess in today's day and age that's like pretty normal i guess right yeah and the generation coming up behind us, uh, what is it, Gen Z? I don't think any of them are going to fucking get married. So this says, this goes on to say, it's not all doom and gloom. Fair enough, the producers of The Bachelor have cut us some slack and given us The Bachelorette. Ooh, yay, we get a show. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> and there are plenty of incredible single women to aspire to, whether it's Lizzo marrying herself or Emma Watson's newly coined, quote, self-partnered status, which we talked about a little earlier. So meanwhile, some women have tried to reclaim the word spinster as a positive one, writing books like Kate Bollock's Spinster, Making a Life of One's Own, or rebranding the term as spinster chic. But let's be real, there's a lot of fun that comes with being single, like having the freedom to do literally whatever you want, whenever. And you also get to laugh at single memes, so really it's a win-win. <laughs> I think you said earlier, like you were, you just wanted to do the opposite of what everybody was saying and then like after my divorce i felt the same way i was like i do not want to get married again that yeah. was such a pain in the ass like mm -hmm. not just the traumatic emotional stuff that went along with it but all the like legal shit that was such a pain in the ass yeah. and i don't know what flipped in my mind like aaron and i had been together like five years and we were like i don't think he was planning on asking me i think he was perfectly content just doing his own thing like you know yeah. he's a cucumber and <laughs> i don't know what flipped i think it was maybe we wouldn't be able to like get a house together we you know financially it might be more stable and i was like i'm just gonna ask him yeah. i don't know oh. what flipped though i was like i want you to be my person and if we have to make that legal let's do that yeah and like we talked about that this a little bit earlier in this episode like it's not always i mean not i'm not saying like you didn't love your husband but like you know sometimes it's not always just about love right like you want to feel taken care of you want to feel secure in a partnership whether it's just a legal thing or i mean like obviously there has, has to be some level of love and intimacy to want to take that step with somebody but like you know it's 
other stuff just besides the love right yeah yeah but i had it in my mind i was like yeah. why why bother getting married what's the what's the big deal and then i was like all right if there is an afterlife maybe our uh maybe legally if we're married i'll find his little soul again out somewhere and don't they say that the like the ring the ring finger having a ring on both your fingers like there is a vein that connects from your ring finger all the way to your heart Con you're literally connected through your your ring artery, finger your yeah veins. yeah the string the literal string that connects you i'll tell you real quick when i asked him we were in iceland and i knew i wanted to ask him because i had asked his friends i was like would he take offense if i asked him and they were like no go for it they were excited so Iceland was beautiful. It was awesome. But I was so stressed out the whole time. And I was so mean. I was being so mean to him because I was like trying to figure out when I was going to ask him and just stressed about the trip. And yeah. none of the places we were stopping felt right. And I was like, we stopped off on the side of the road to look at these like ancient churches and there were like sheep in the field. And I was Aww. like, I'm going to do I'm going to do it now. And like yeah. I was shaking and cry like he's not gonna say no we're in a foreign yeah. country i could just leave him there if he said <laughs> but, uh, but I, I told him i was like i don't know you know where we're gonna be in 45 years but i hope yeah. we're we're still together and yeah. like i want you to be my person there's yeah. a song by stan rogers called 45 years from now and it's all oh. about like this woman had been married before like what's the point and you know they come to learn to love again and, uh, and so i was like beautiful it's so yeah. beautiful. Yeah, check out Stan Rogers. He's amazing. Canadian folk, folk R.I.P. You but, um... managed to find a good, perfect song for every fucking occasion. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate you. Yeah. <laughs> when it's funny that you say that because when like right okay, I didn't propose to my husband. He proposed to me. But when we went on that trip to Salem in like 2016, the trip where we got engaged, we fought that entire time too because. It oh, rained. Wow. It rained the entire fucking trip. And I think he was getting a little pissy because he was like, it's it's raining every single day. When am I going to fucking do this? It has yeah, to be yeah. on this trip. It's got to be perfect. I was yeah, so exactly. And the last day, we were literally leaving Salem, checking out of our Airbnb. And it was the beautiful sunny. It was very windy and, and cold, but it was finally fucking sunny out. And he's like, finally could do this. He was carrying the ring in his pocket without a box the entire trip like he could have fucking lost it what a brave soul he was like get he was like really paranoid the whole time so he was definitely pissy so i think that's why we were fighting the whole time and then he pointed out it was on that beach stretch yeah. right yeah oh so yeah. cute you guys were so cute so you mentioned a little bit ago a book by kate bollock called making one's own life right spinsters yeah kate bollock spinsters making one's own life bollock highlights the power of single women emphasizing that being unmarried does not equate to loneliness or despair with the increase in number of people marrying later and choosing or choosing not to marry at all bullock's book enters a time where single women were increasingly prominent she structures her narrative around five awakeners female literary figures who are spinsters for parts of their lives demonstrating that the idea of unmarried women is not a new phenomenon bullock draws from her own experiences reflecting on her fear of conforming to societal expectations and how she ultimately learned to trust herself in the moment the book delves into the fear many women harbor about being single forever discussing the internal conflict and societal pressures they face Bullock acknowledges her own tendencies as a worrier, but asserts that she never had the classic fear of being alone in her later years. Her 85-year-old self, she... 85? No way! Wow. Her 85-year-old self, she believes, 
Oh, we'll be proud. I should have finished reading. We'll be proud of her decision to pursue a career as a writer, despite the challenges she faced in maintaining financial stability while following her passion. Bullock also examines how relationships can sometimes hinder personal growth and creativity, using her own experience of relying on long-term relationships for confidence as an example. She questions the societal norms that often lead individuals to make compromises in their lives based on predetermined expectations, urging for a world where individuals have the freedom to make choices without societal pressures. In discussing the contemporary significance of the single woman, Bullock critiques the societal value placed on traditional roles of wife and mother, arguing that the unmarried woman often becomes an object of curiosity or threat. She strives to create a historical and literary context for the single experience, showcasing women from the past to thrive in unmarried and childless states. Bullock suggests that by broadening the understanding in different ways of life, society can better recognize the potential for self-determination and creativity that comes from being alone. She encourages younger women to embrace their single periods, celebrating independence and personal growth rather than succumbing to anxiety and the search for a partner. Through her book, Bullock seeks to redefine the conversation surrounding single women, urging readers to reconsider the possibilities of richness of life beyond the confines of societal expectations. I hate fucking societal pressure. Mm. Like, mm -hmm. it's just such a fucking downer. It's like a bummer. Like, dude, why can't you just let me live my fucking life? What do you care yeah. what I'm doing, right? Be a really big downer. <laughs> so spinsters are often portrayed as witches in pop culture. So this article is from spinstersofhorror.com. Nice. <laughs> There's a whole website dedicated to the spinsters of horror. Mm -hmm. um, so this article is by Jessica Parent. And uh, she says, in a recent rewatch of the 1939 film, The Wizard of Oz, I realized where my fascination with witches came from as I watched Glinda float down from the sky in her bubble and the Wicked Witch of the West summon her flying monkeys to do her bidding. I remember loving the power displayed by these female residents of Oz. However, as a child, I felt conflicted about the imagery surrounding what it means to be a good witch or a bad witch. A good witch was sweet, beautiful, intelligent, surrounded by light, and loved by everyone, especially children, whereas the bad witch was clad in black robes, was hideously ugly, and surrounded by scary creatures. Also the one depicted with the green face. Uh, she also hated children, almost to the point of killing them. I obviously didn't want to be the bad witch, as this would mean I hated children, as well as being non-nurturing which is the complete opposite of how I am. I am very nurturing. I'm a loving woman. I don't dislike children, at least not all of them. I just chose not to have any of my own, but I didn't want to be seen as a witch that wanted to murder or eat children despite the occasional joke about it. Where did the idea of bad and evil witches being child haters and murderers come from? The belief was born out of a rumor during the Middle Ages. This was a time where heretical persecution in Europe was at its highest, and often these accusations included witchcraft, infanticide, and cannibalism. The Manual for Hunting Witches in 1486, written by Catholic clergyman Heinrich Kramer, the Malleus Maleficarum, used the idea that witches can be identified when they could be seen, quote, roasting their firstborn male child, end quote. Women in Europe during the 1600s witch hunts would be accused of murdering babies while they slept, roasting them, and saving bits for, quote, flying ointment, 
We all remember that scene in The Witch. Mm -hmm. Infanticide and cannibalism become synonymous with the witch and would then influence the fairy tales of the Brothers Grimm such as Hansel and Gretel, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, the Pied Piper of Hamelin and Rapunzel. Children learn from these tales of the supposed evils of witches or abnormal women and to be suspicious of anyone who did not conform to societal norms such as motherhood. That only women who could be trusted were those submissive in their roles as wives and mothers as they could be the good witches made strong in their desire to have and protect children real quick the yeah. scariest character in that movie the witch was the mom i agree she was oh my god she's so scary she was nuts yeah the whole family was kind of fucked yeah right good movie though so such a good movie you know every time i try to watch that movie with avi he falls the fuck asleep i think i finally got him to like sit down and watch it like we j had just woken up probably like a month ago and i put it on like as soon as we woke up i was like you're gonna freaking watch this movie because every time we watch it at night when we should watch it because it's creepy and dark and spooky he falls asleep slow is moving it's very slow it is very slow is there not a lot of background music either no i think that's what makes it even creepier is because there's no like filler music yes yeah so while i was surrounding myself with books and movies that featured witches such as grimm's fairy tales the awe series alice in wonderland the witches from 1990 and hocus pocus in 93 i was constantly seeing the image of a powerful woman who was often feared and hated because she did not like or have any children herself she was an evil woman someone not only to be feared but also hated for she did not want to contribute to the population of her village but instead to feast on their precious children she was often pitted against a white witch glinda the fairy godmother miranda That's Marana? miranda miranda Mar miranda <laughs> i love that i love that lady on miranda? tiktok miranda <laughs> and the white queen <laughs> a sweet beautiful woman my god stop <laughs> oh man <laughs> or sweet, beautiful woman from Cinderella, Snow White, and Alice and Helga, whose decisions and behavior were representative of the desired qualities in women to be mothers, women who would put the well-being and lives of their children above their own. I was being shown to be a good witch. I must be at the service of others, and my life was not my own. To think or act otherwise would be selfish and make me evil and dangerous. These evil and bad witches were a threat, and by depicting them as child murderers and haters was to justify taking actions against them. <sighs> Roald Dahl's The Witches is a dark fantasy film based on the 1983 book of the same name. Did you see the Grim Life Collective? They're in the UK right now, and they actually just visited the Hotel Excelsior where they filmed The Witches? No, that's cool. They did like, they did like a whole tea time with... Uh, the Grand High Witch or whatever. Not really Angelica Houston, but Aww. it was like some random lady in like the ball cap and like the nose. It was pretty cool. They actually got to like stay at the hotel. It is a simple story of a young boy and his grandmother teaming up to foil a devious plan to turn all the children of England into mice by evil witches who masquerade as ordinary women. It stars Angelica Houston as Eva Ernst, the Grand High Witch. That's it, the Grand High Witch. And the all-powerful leader of the world's witches. Was or Anne Hathaway in the remake? Yeah. Yes, I never good. saw that one yet. I didn't see it either. That looks good. I gotta see that. That was that a Disney movie? Was that on oh, Disney? I don't know. Because I if it up. was, it should be on Disney Plus, which I have. So I'll watch it on there. <laughs> Is she a Disney princess? Um, Dude, did you see? Did I send this to you? A w whatever production Rocky Horror was was bought out by Disney. Was it? And so Frankenfurter now Disney princess. Is it Disney? Wait, Disney character Frankenfurter Disney princess. What? <laughs> 
I did I'll not find the article. That. I'll send it to you. It was on that Rocky Horror Facebook group. You okay. joined. So Disney owns the rights to Rocky Horror now? I think so. That is so strange. They're just monopolizing everything. Everything. I hope they don't, like, try to re-edit the movie to make it PG. Like, how Oh, my God. I would be so fucking pissed. Shoot me now. Yeah. All right. So while this movie does not have witches wanting to eat children, as they can't even stand the smell of them, as they claim to smell of dog droppings, the witches want to rid the world of children by turning them into mice and having their parents call exterminators on them. When I watched this film again recently, I realized that the witches only use a potion to transform the children, making the parents responsible for killing the children, keeping the witches' hands clean of the bloodshed. That is pretty devious and dark. Um, I think it's called the 86 potion or something like that. Yeah, that's the potion in the, in the film. So, however, this author goes on to say, I did not see that as a child. I just remember being in awe of Eva, the Grand High Witch, when she made her entrance to the coven meeting of the Royal Society for the prevention of cruelty to children. Mm -hmm. I saw a beautiful, intelligent, and strong woman who knew what she wanted, and that did not include children. She had no interest of them. But when we see Eva remove her human face, she is a large, hideous creature with long, pointy fingernails, a crooked spine. She cackles as she conducts her experiment with Bruno, one of the boys staying at the hotel. And as a young girl, I was being taught that underneath the exterior of a successful and child-free woman was a hideous witch plotting the murder of children. So as I grew older and eventually identified as a witch, I felt somewhat evil because I did not want to have any children. Ever. That I was following in line with the stereotype that witches were cold, uncaring, and selfish women despite the fact that I know other women who identify as witches but also have children. I understood the desire to have unfettered independent lives living child-free. But because these women did not conform to the traditional role of a wife and mother, she was a threat to be exiled from the community or looked down upon by other men and women. This is often how women who have chosen to be child-free are treated in society that holds high value toward the nuclear family. To be child-free is to, quote, have the peace of mind about not having children, end quote, for various personal reasons and situations, which is different from being childless, which is, quote, those women who wanted to have children but were unable to, which reflects their sadness, end quote. Being child-free gives validity to a woman's agency and her choices, which is also what I think being a witch invokes. So she goes on to say, I have known since I was a teenager that I never wanted any children on my own. This was probably due to being forced to mother my siblings at a young age because of constant family dysfunction. So part of me feels that while my childhood was robbed from me, I would gain it back as an adult. Other reasons to not have children motivated me over the years, such as economical, situational, and moral, I guess, um, responsibility. Before I got married, I did not plan to have any children. And I was constantly told that I would, quote, change my mind. I feel oh, like that's like what- fucking hate that. It's different when they're your own. No, <clears throat> it's not. It's not. I like my time. I like my peace and quiet when I come home from a, a work day. You know, I don't feel like I need to valid or yeah, validate myself to anybody. Right. You know? Yeah. We're not we're not uh, throwing parents under the bus. You guys are doing a great job. We are just saying, personally for us, this is how we feel. We like our time. That's it. Right. Right. And again, we don't all hate children. I'm a fucking nanny for crying out loud. I love kids. I, I love kids too. But like I like my me time better yeah. than wanting to be a mother, I guess yeah. you could say. Caitlin has a very, very cute little nephew, and she talks yeah. about him all the time. And yeah. she's like, at one point, she marked me. She's like, oh, I know, like, you don't really like kids and talk about kids. I was like, Caitlin, I like kids. <laughs> I, I've always taken care of kids. You can talk about them. That's fine. 
Caitlin knows you used to be a nanny, right? Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, and Caitlin is one of those that is so maternal and has always wanted kids. And she'd be an awesome mom. And yeah. we don't, that's one place we don't see eye to eye. And that is totally fine because I okay. get to be the cool aunt that spoils the shit out of them. She's going right. to be a great mom. Yeah. She wants kids, though? Yeah, she wants like a ton yeah. of kids. Okay. But yeah, again, to each their own. But like, I just hate how it's always that like one side of the coin is looking at people who don't want like the, the the people who want the marriage and want that I guess societal standard of a life like they always look at the people who don't necessarily want to conform to those societal standards. They always look at us like we freaking hate kids. It's yeah. not Kate. That's not the case. Right, right, right. When we would go to family functions back in California, I loved playing with those little kids. And yeah. the parents, you know, my in-laws were always like, you don't have to play with them. I'm like, yes, I do. I want to. <laughs> like, that's why I'm here. Of course I want to play with them. I feel like a lot of the reason why maybe we don't want kids is because like we're still, I still feel like I'm in my childhood. Like I still feel like a kid myself and like, I'm like, who am I to have a child? Because I still feel like I can't even take care of myself. So if my own basic needs sometimes are feel like they're not being met because I can't take care of my own adult self, why would I feel qualified to be a mother or like guide somebody's life in that aspect? You know what I mean? I don't know. When my period is late in my teenager brain, I'm like, oh no. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm going to get in so much trouble. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like me and you touched on this in the placenta episode of yeah, like, I think why, so. we're, why we're choosing not to have kids is because of that childhood teenage trauma of like our moms just being like, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant. And it's ingrained into my head that if I do get pregnant, that's a negative. That's, that's a, a no-no. Yeah. Exactly. Sex Christian bad. guilt. Yeah. Catholic guilt. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So maybe that does contribute to my choices now. And and now I'm sure my mother's shooting herself in the foot because <laughs> every time she comes over, when are you gonna when are you gonna turn your studio into the into the baby room? Oh, it's never gonna happen, Mom. <laughs> yeah. So you're now right. she's gotta accept that she's got fur grandbabies and yes. she's gotta be okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> so she goes on to say, When I actually got married and still didn't want to have any children, it was a constant source of conflict between myself and my ex-husband, who wavered back and forth on the issue constantly. When I came out as a witch in the final year of my marriage, I was accused that the reason that I didn't want to have children was that I was selfish and didn't like them. That choosing to have a child-free life meant I was being a difficult woman oh, and not fulfilling, <laughs> not fulfilling my role as a dutiful wife, Ew. bearing my husband's namesake. I was then casting spells on him in the night and manipulating him to be, quote, castrated or to get him to have a vasectomy. Um, I was negatively impacting his manhood in denying him the role of being a father and having his child carrying on his legacy. I was an evil woman and a threat. I was a bad witch. I was demonized by my ex-husband and his family for choosing to be child-free despite the fact that I listed various reasons why having children was not suited for me. I was denied my agency. Oh, ouch. Um, so was it saying that like she was doing all of those things? They were making it out to seem like she was doing all those things, but she really like she was just standing by her choices. She wasn't really doing witchcraft in the night, cursing her. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like they're just like they 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 just put this like weird spin on things to like villainize and demonize and it's yes. It's because there has to be a reason she doesn't want kids, and it's because she's a witch, and witches don't like kids and XYZ. Yeah. 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 
really fucked up. She says, however, over the last four years, I have learned so much about how witches have been historically misrepresented in media and literature. That I was not a bad witch, I was just being a strong woman. That what was taught to us as children about the difference between being a good witch or a bad witch was dictated by the will of the patriarchy as means to not only keep the women divided, but mistrusted. This is what we would read or see on the silver screen, that if a witch were to exist, it would be in the image created by men. She needed to be beautiful, morally good, love children, and protect the status quo. Anything otherwise would be deemed abnormal. That the idea of witches eating children all came out of a rumor as a means for witch hunters to justify their actions of murdering innocent women. To protect the patriarchy, the child-hating witch was born and used as a means to keep women afraid. That to make the decision to not have children means that there is something deceptive about your intentions, as it only seems natural for a woman to want to have children, to be mothers. To make any decisions of the contrary would be regarded with suspicion and scorn. Often the image of the witch and the child-free woman are approached in the same way. In 2021, child-free women are still regarded with stigma. We are often characterized as selfish, cold, not nurturing, which is often the same characteristics apply to a witch. While these women are comparatively living happier and healthier lives, we are still, quote, othered and often have to fight harder for resources. This is because we are subverting the traditional patriarchal defined role for women to be mothers, which threatens the ability of men to continue to deny female agency. To question or reject the traditional gender roles in parenthood is to be a threat and who has historically been deemed a threat to the patriarchy. The witch. The witch. The witch. <laughs> Diamond. Diamonds. <laughs> Yeah, that woman who wrote this article, I'm wondering if like her and her, I guess, then husband, they never had that talk about children before she married him. Right. Well, they it said that, that he talk? went back and forth on it a lot. So I'm guessing like when they first got married, yeah. it wasn't an issue because he didn't want kids. But then he's like, yeah, I need somebody to it. carry on my name. It's to be honest, it's a little selfish. Like you can't just flip flop like that. Like we already had this like yeah. screening process prior to the the marriage. Right, like right, why? Right. Why are you flip-flopping now? Yeah, I think that was a really well-written article. Yeah, I could totally like see that from her perspective. So let's get into the 30 best pop culture spinsters from FlavorWire.com. There's a lot of these, so we don't have to read all of yeah. them. I mean, we don't have to read the descriptions, but we can just go through the names if you want to. Sure, sure. This word spinster refers to an unmarried woman and is most often synonymous with the stereotype of a past her prime old maid, a woman who hasn't made a good match and who's doomed to live an unfulfilling life. Well, that's just a stereotype talking because, hey, what's wrong with that exactly? The answer is absolutely nothing. Pop culture has given us some pretty great spinsters, although on average they do fall within a specific homogeneous moneyed and white demographic. So here are their 30 favorite writers, artists, fictional characters who show the freedom that comes along with living the unmarried life, female characters who are defined by their wants and desires and not characterized through the simple scrim of their relationships. So I guess we can read the descriptions of like the popular ones. Sure. So nice. Sabrina, the aunts from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Such a good show. Both shows. Really good. Sabrina the Teenage Witch may be a tale as old as Archie Comics. But the Ned Pulse Ultra version of Sabrina, 600-year-old aunts, comes from long-running Melissa Joan Hart series, Ditsy Hilda, played by Caroline Ray, and the whiskey-voiced Zelda, Beth Broderick, sparring back and forth with Salem, the animatronic black cat. I wonder if uh, 
She's related to Matthew Broderick. The next one is one of my favorites. You want to read Samantha this one? <laughs> Samantha fucking Jones from Sex and the City. So this says, the horny heart of this HBO series, Samantha provides the puns and wacky sex scenes. Her sex scenes are the funniest freaking scenes ever. But she's also a fantastic friend. She was never going to get married and she values her freedom above monogamy. Even when it's with the absolute hunk like Smith Jared, she is a boss who knows what she wants and values her own self-made family above all which is the girls right her best friends spend the rest of the day trying to do kim cattrall's samantha voice and feel like a queen <laughs> i read the secret life of bees when i was in college i don't remember what it's about but the boatwright yeah. sisters are on this list queen elizabeth is on this list um in both real life and the endless amount of historical interpretations queen elizabeth 1533 to 1603 was known as the virgin queen since she never married and never had an heir and you know what? She kept her power and never ceded it to a man. Kind of like the Owens family, right? Mm -hmm. The women, the men always take the Owens name. Nice. Right? Yeah. That's the yeah. way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I like those couples, too, who either combine their last name to make a whole new name or they just mm. pick a random name together. Well, you know what my uh, godfather calls me and Avi, right? The cartels. He calls us the cartels. I love that. <laughs> I remember the first time I think my mom heard him heard Mark refer to us as the cartels. She didn't know what he was talking about, and she he, she thought he was just like talking about like some drug lords or something. Oh my God. Like that. <laughs> so uh, Jane Austen is another one on this list. There's a cool movie with Anne Hathaway called uh -huh. Becoming Jane, I think, and James McAvoy's in that too. Ooh. Without the work of Austen, arguably one of the top five spinsters in the game, storytelling and the marriage plot would be a whole lot different. During her short life, she had suitors, and her ribald and witty letters and novels showed that she was no prude. High standards and fear of childbirth may have put her off of marriage, and the world of letters is greater for it. Well, yeah, fear of childbirth, because, like, back then, didn't it say, like, most deaths of women were from complications of childbirth? They didn't have modern medicine totally. back yep. then, right? Yeah. Um, the Bronte sisters are on here. Emily, Anne, and Charlotte. Oh, Miss... Oh, Miss... I've seen this show. Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. I haven't seen that one. It I've seen the Babadook. Babadook. It's the same actress, Essie okay. Davis. So she's all dolled up for this delightful Australian series. This was streaming on Netflix for a while. I haven't seen it on there lately, but I did watch like a few episodes. Um, so Fisher, she's a glorious Australian aristocrat. She doesn't need a man. She's too busy solving crimes, flying a plane, being a bohemian, not giving a fuck. This is a really fun show. It kind of gives me like Agatha. I don't know if uh, this was based on an Agatha Christie novel, but it's basically like a female detective. She's trying to solve crimes and she's just cool. like going about her business, solving these crimes. And like, she don't need a kid to be a badass crime solver. Yeah, dude. Um, So the Lolly Willows or the Loving Huntsman, Sylvia Townsend Warner, I guess she wrote a story about a witch first published in 1926. Warner's book concerns a spinster who moves away from her family into a house in the country in order to take up, well, witchcraft. Nice. Cool, feminist, secret classic, and completely about what it means to have the room of one's own. And I kind of want to read this book now. <laughs> I do too. Right? So sweet. Awesome. Yeah. Harper yeah. Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird. That's a classic, right? This is probably one of the best American novels of all time, as it's been deemed. Even though the world wants to co-opt you, make sure to keep control over your own life. Living by modest means in your small Alabama hometown. Lee is fascinating, enigmatic, and she's always lived life on her own terms, as the controversy over last year's The Mockingbird Next Door revealed. Mm. 
what's the Mockingbird next door? Is that like a, a sure. spinoff or something? I don't know. Emily Dickinson's here on this. Um, Little Edie from Grey Gardens. Girl, you still got to watch that, that yeah. docu documentary. Um, Little Edie, Elsa from Frozen, Professor Minerva McGonagall, Dame Maggie Smith's character, Eleanor Rigby, that Beatles song. Yeah, yeah. Eleanor Rigby. I never knew that was about a spinster. Wondering all the lonely people, where oh, do I they guess. all come from? I guess I never considered the lyrics. Like, I always just like, you know, when you sing songs as a kid, you don't really think about what the lyrics mean. And then yeah. even like when you grow into an adult, you kind of like still sing it from that kid's perspective. That and the uh, Mrs. Robinson song. Mm, Mrs. Mr. Robinson. Yeah. She was like an older, like a, I don't know, a cougar, a cougar type of woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like uh, the dude that the dude, the uh, the woman that Vincent was shacking up with for yeah. a while, right? The next yeah, door yeah, neighbor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Marilla Cuthbert, Anna Green Gables. Love Marilla. Love that. Yeah, love that book. they they adopt Anne, right? They adopt. They Anne? do. Um, her Mar Marilla and her brother, they yeah. they're not getting married. They're not. They're good. I think the brother had like a, a love, a flame, but they just live together and they're like, we should have like somebody to take care of and somebody yeah. to help with the farm. And they think they adopt a boy, but they did not. They got Anne. Did you ever see Anne with an E on Netflix? I love that show. It's it gives so me such pretty. witchy vibes. It does. Yeah. And I never, I never kept up. I think I only watched up to like the end of season two and it kept going. But like me and my mom, when I, when I still lived at home, me and my mom would like cozy on up and watch that at nighttime when like my dad would go to sleep. <laughs> Guys, I love it. I love her wonder. Like the yeah. everything is so magical to her. And I wish more people looked at things like that. Yeah. It kind of, she kind of always remind me of like Pippi Longstockings mm -hmm. in that aspect. Like she, she would always make like the kids around her embrace their own magic because mm -hmm. like society is so like by the book and mm -hmm. so prude when it comes to exploring possibilities yeah and you know just seeing what else is out there not not taking things at face value and mm -hmm. Anne always made it a point to go there and yeah, nobody, push push that little envelope nobody liked it exactly. nobody liked it yeah oh and gilbert wasn't her crush named gilbert mm. i don't remember okay I, don't remember. I gotta watch that show again i gotta see if my mom wants to to uh re reopen our uh our nighttime watching sessions Cute. okay finish that series off yeah and then the last one that i wanted to add because we talked about this on our sudbury episode was ms jerusha howe from the wayside inn in sudbury the resident ghost right she was known as i guess a spinster what up jerusha she never married never had children she just ran the inn and that was her passion and that's what she did up until she she passed away and we can throw on there because you just watched this uh sarah winchester yes sarah sarah winchester i think she would be more widow a widow witch yeah. i guess yeah okay i think okay. she had a niece and a nephew and they had a daughter that died young yes yeah. yes her her daughter passed away like right after birth and then her husband passed away i think suddenly and then she was heiress to all of the families like the gun company the fortune yep. from that whole company did they show a lot of the actual house in that movie or was it pretty much about the plot not the house no it was it was about the house too but i felt i feel like the plot kind of made it make sense i don't know how much of it was fabricated though yeah i think a lot of it probably would be i want to watch that movie yeah yeah it is really freaking cool though cool. um a lot of it is very history based though like there are facts in there like she 
had the inheritance she built this house construction on the house never stopped because she was afraid that the ghosts were after her if the house if the construction stopped she felt like she was cursed because of all the deaths that because her family ran that gun company the winchester gun company and all those guns that killed people like she felt responsible for all those deaths so the house in essence was her trying to make up for to make it make it right to give the ghosts a place to and it I wasn't guess. even her it was because he was the Winchester. The Winchester repeating rifle was her husband and mm. her her father-in-law's company. And yeah, it was left she inherited through marriage. Yeah. yeah, so it's a great movie, though. I really enjoyed it. I don't. I heard that it got bad ratings. I heard that it I got 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, but I'm like, I really enjoyed it. I liked mm -hmm. it a lot. I would really love to visit the house one day. Give us a rundown of celebrities in our world today or okay. spinsters. Considered spinsters. No child, not married. No child, not married. So some of these celebrities are Kim Cattrall, which is the real life Samantha Jones, the woman who plays Samantha Jones. So in real life, no child, no marriage. Uh, Rashida Jones, Jennifer Aniston, Betty White, R.I.P., mm -hmm. Tracy Ellis Ross, Winona Ryder, Dolly Parton. Oprah I think Winfrey. she's married. Dolly Parton? Yeah. No yeah, kids, though. Is Oprah married or is she just, she just has a partner that she lives with, what's his name, Stepford or something? Oh, yeah. I don't know right? if they're married. I don't know if they're ever married. They might be married at this point by common law because they live together forever. Yeah, yeah. But she's yeah. happy with uh, her dogs and her partner, even though there's no real label on it. Margaret Cho, Chelsea Handler, Aisha Tyler, Helen Mirren, who plays Sarah Winchester in the movie, Renee Zellweger, Dita Von Teese, Janine Garofalo, Fiona Apple, Rachel Ray, Ashley Judd, Lily Tomlin, Kylie Minogue, Angelica Houston, Gloria Steinem, Sarah Silverman, Sarah Paulson, Marissa Tomei, Katherine Hepburn, R.I.P., Ellen DeGeneres, Stevie McFudge and Nix, <laughs> and Alice McFluffin Hoffman. There it is. Our very own. There's a lot of strong, powerful women who don't feel like they need to get married or have children to prove a point or to follow society's standards i have a feeling taylor swift's never gonna get married you're probably right i feel like she's gonna follow in like the stevie footsteps dolly footsteps you know? i hope i kind of hope she does i hope she does too and like, and like all those of these songs things. coming girl yeah exactly because i tell you once you're in a happy marriage it's hard to write music like that anymore <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um isn't that it's what okay. changed with Adele? Wasn't she in a marriage, then out of a marriage? It's like it takes the trauma to get the, the muse juices the flowing. The good stuff. Right, yeah. the good stuff. Exactly. Yeah. That's why it took me 10 fucking years to write new music because like when you popped up, you were like, hey, let's write practical magic music. I'm like, all right, maybe this is the avenue I need to take. Maybe I need to start writing about not my own love life yeah. anymore because that's, mm -hmm. what all, that's all I used to write about as like a teenager in, in my 20s. Mm -hmm. I wrote about my sucky love life and then like once you find a happy like a stable like committed relationship nobody like, wants to hear a song about a happy marriage right exactly i was like i don't need to write songs anymore but like it took you to be like hey let's write about like fiction to be like okay maybe there is something worth still writing music about nice i'm so happy uh, you did and like practical magic's got all the the juicy like twists and turns and trauma and love murder. and death and murder and all the stuff so i'm like this is this is you're hurling. This is the good stuff right here. So real quick, going back to the Taylor Swift thing, she wrote a song called The Great American Dynasty about 
one of her mansions in Rhode Island, and it's called the Holiday House. And this house was previously owned by a woman named, I think her name was Rebecca Harkness, and she was an heiress through marriage, kind of like Sarah Winchester, kind of like that type of deal. I don't remember what she inherited, like what the, her husband, what the money he made was based okay. off of. I guess Taylor was really inspired by that whole story and that whole like dynasty in the family and the riches and yeah, the power. and like this woman she married she was a widowed she did have children i don't i don't know if you you could say like she disowned them but like she wasn't a very good mother by any standards okay. like she she had the children but ultimately it seemed like she didn't give a fuck about them okay. like, she didn't really care what year was that what year did that take place um... you think was born 1915 she died in 1982 so more recent oh wow okay yeah yeah but it's a fascinating story go listen to that song the great american dynasty go look a, go read a little bit about rebecca harkness and her whole i guess her biography or her mini bio on wikipedia she just had a fascinating life and i just like i could totally see taylor following her footsteps and just that she was a patron of like this woman was a patron of the arts and she supported everybody's artwork and she drew through all these like extravagant lavish affairs and like parties and like she blew her money on bullshit <laughs> but she also supported that she, she opened up her own like ballet companies and stuff and she's oh, nice for the arts interesting her story is just really fascinating and i could see why taylor would want to write about her yeah um, that's interesting so she does kind of have that widow witch kind of vibe to her i would say i guess we'll see She's yeah. still pretty young. No, not Taylor. I mean, Rebecca Harkness. Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. 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 But I no, could but see. We'll see if she marries or not. Right. But I could see, like, if Taylor went down that route, that path, I could yeah. totally see her doing that. And I kind of, like, see her, like, writing about all these, like, different, like, relationships and different men, like, heartbreaks and stuff. Kind of, like, as a fuck you to society. Like, oh, you think I'm going to, like, settle down finally? Nope. Nope. Wrong. This is on how I make my next. money exactly she's laughing all the way to the bank she ain't yeah. stupid good for her good for her here's to taylor swift <laughs> viva la swift viva la swift uh i think that's all we got for you guys today yeah man what would be the next i guess topic in this series right because we're gonna keep going with these spinster series i think the next one we should do is weaving we're sewing i don't know there's so many. There's so many. I didn't realize how much of a rabbit hole this was. So many. But this what do we have one. to look forward to next week? Next week, I think we're going to dive into some of the music for the Practical Magic, the original score, not the Alan, Alan, Alan Menken score. Alan Menken. <laughs> not the Alan Silvestri score, but the Michael Nyman score, which I don't know if many people know about if they're not like, you know, all up in the Practical Magic biz. Michael Nyman. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dive into some of the uh it was a rejected score, actually. Poor Michael. He did a whole score for the movie and it was rejected. And I don't even know if he was like told about it. I think Oh Yeah. It was really shifty how it was done. It was kind of fucked up. But anyway. Just like Timothy Oliphant. Did you ever watch that thing I, yes! I think I put on the Discord? Yeah, Timothy Oliphant yes. was supposed to play Gerber Hurlet. Gerber Hurlet. He auditioned. And it was walking down the hallway and somebody stopped him, talked to him, like, oh, yeah, Aiden, Aiden Quinn's trying out for this role. He's a cop in this witch movie. Yeah. He's like, I think I just auditioned for that. <laughs> yeah, they just gave it to Aiden. Like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Yeah. Hey. Practical Magic, The I guess the casting crew directors or they whatever. They didn't have it all together, especially with they, that witch for hire. Right. They just yeah. dropped the ball. 
yeah. there were some questionable uh, decisions. decisions being made over there, for sure. Yeah. A reminder, you can check out all of the sources pertaining to today's episode via our hero page. The link is in our show notes. And thanks again to our patron and Palmiers for creating this app and keeping creators like us organized. If you guys want to check out our Patreon, here's how to do it. You can support us for as little as $1 a month. That's our seedling tier and that gets you access to our patron-only polls where you get to weigh in on what topics you would like us to talk about next. It also gets you our monthly calendar so you can see what topics we have coming up for the month and it also gets you a welcome shout out on the show. Our $3 Lavender Bud tier get to our show notes for each episode in an aesthetically pleasing PDF, our after hours posts, if there's any extra tidbits or behind the scenes info pertaining to any of our episodes, we'll post those along with a blog post or extra photos, and access to our specially curated Spotify playlists. We have created playlists for our WMSR episodes as well, as well as production dream playlists for each song episode and more. Our $5 Lilac tier gets you access to our private Facebook community where we host a monthly live stream. Plus, you'll get access to our Discord server where we host our monthly watch parties. And also on the Discord, you can join in on the discussion with other Magnolia Street neighbors via the various interesting channels and threads. And then here's the uh, $8 Rose tier. This gets you access to extra audio-visual content such as a once-a-month full-length video episode, unlimited bonus videos, uncut footage, cutting room floor footage, bloopers, outtakes, meditations, exclusive interviews, and old home videos from the vault, or spell or ritual videos, and more. Uh, it also gets you bonus content to coincide with our song episodes, such as full-length demo streams of our original Practical Magic-inspired music, plus lyric sheets, guitar chords, and original scratch demos, or bonus video performances of our songs and more. Lastly, we have our $15 Wisteria Vine tier. Just like a twisting Wisteria Vine, there's a way for you to stay connected with us, the Stinas. In this tier, we invite you to join our private Marco Polo video messaging app. The app is totally free for both Android and iOS. Sign up with your phone number or email and we will help you do the rest. This is a great way to chat with each other in a more intimate group setting face-to-face -face, via video recording. We love to show each other our pets, our gardens, or anything else you'd like to share. And just a reminder that the higher the tier you sign up under, the more rewards you get because you get all of the rewards of the tiers below it. You can upgrade or downgrade or even cancel at any time. So to support the podcast, head to Patreon patreon.com slash magnolia street podcast yeah and there are additional ways to support us and our podcast that don't cost you any money if you do listen on spotify please give us a star rating if you listen to us on apple Podcasts, please give us a written review we love sharing those on our instagram and if you're on instagram we would really appreciate any reposts or blurbs about our podcast and make sure to tag us at magnolia street podcast in your feed posts, stories and share us with your practical magic love and friends and we also have some awesome merch over on our Teespring in our shop. And you can access that through our Koji link in our Instagram bio. You can get our original designs on pretty much any kind of apparel, as well as other items like coffee mugs, stickers, tote bags, and water bottles. And if there's a design you want on a thing you don't see, let us know. We'll put that design on whatever you'd like. Yeah, man. We don't have any upcoming events, girl. This is I going am into holiday season. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I'm excited to just like chill for a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm excited to talk about the Yule time and your mm -hmm. birthday coming up. I'm going to be the big four. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. yeah. It's exciting, but it's not. It's like the end of an, like, where the fuck did my thirties go? I don't know. Like, where did it go? But you still seem so young. Not 40 at all. Like, I don't feel it though. 30, 31, maybe. I feel so crickety when I wake up. <laughs> 
Hello, crickety. Like I gotta keep a canister of olive oil next to my bed to just get oh. the bones moist <laughs> just to get out of bed in the morning. That's cute. Fuck oh funny. my god. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I enjoyed know, hangovers, this. Hangovers get a little little harder nowadays. It takes me like a full week to recover. Totally. Yeah. 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 The tums. The tums have to be in crushed form. The <laughs> tums. Ingested. There need to be many tums. Much water. And, you know, just keeping those bones lubricated just so I don't just wither and turn into dust. (laughs) (laughs) Billy, Billy Butcherson. All right, guys. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this. Visit us again next week on Magnolia Street. I'm Christina. I'm Justina. And we'll see you next next time. At the house on Magnolia Street. Would you go down to Magnolia Street? Did you see I posted some slam and bolognese the other night? I had at we went to this new spot in a little town, Matuchin. I'm trying to make it a personal mission of mine to try every restaurant on the main. It's just like a cute little town, like a little Hallmark town, and they got like a, re- a lot of good little restaurants. Nice. So I was like feeling feeling like the Italian. Yeah, I wanted some like, good bolognese and a nice glass of red wine. Oh, I had a nice Chianti. It was, it was nice and chilly on Friday night. Yeah, Friday night. It was got a little autumn crisp air, and I was like, I could just really go for a nice cozy bowl of bolognese and a glass of wine. Dude, that sounds so freaking nice. And then we went home, and we passed out on the couch. Oh, that sounds so nice. Great. And that big pasta belly. And we're able to do that because we don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's the moral of the story. Aim full circle. <laughs>